Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Happy Tuesday. It's 7.01, 7.02 right there. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle Smallman. How was your weekend? Randy, it was great. Long weekend. It was Feels good. weird to be back. Feels weird that it's Tuesday. Yeah, it's a happy Tuesday. Tomorrow's already hump day. How was your weekend? It was good, except for the start. Yeah. But so. you know what? At least we had a long weekend to process and maybe turn the page. Yeah, I think we've turned the page. Well, we get to revisit it all day. (laughs) We do. We were really excited. As a matter of fact, Michelle and I sitting over at Enterprise Center on Friday night, game six, Blues and Avalanche, and we're getting ready for overtime. But the Avalanche weren't. Buck flow covered to the right side. Eric Johnson gets the line with nine seconds. They pass it near wing. Helm with a shot. He scores! And the Colorado Avalanche with five seconds to go in the game, have slapped it past the glove of Nico Mikola to take a 3-2 lead here in the third. And we're thinking, why the face? What up? <laughs> why the face, indeed. <laughs> Six seconds left. And in overtime, as we know, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Momentum can shift very quickly. But six seconds left. Darren Helm. Unbelievable. Of course, it was the secondary scoring again for the Colorado Avalanche that gets yep. it done. And, Randy, we sat there stunned. We looked down. We watched a ton of Blues fans exiting Enterprise Center. They were stunned. It was like a bunch of zombies leaving the yeah. place because people could not believe that that happened in the manner in which it did. Not that the Blues lost, but everybody the, mentally was ready for overtime. Exactly. Everybody in the building. I'm sure that on that Colorado bench, the only guy who wasn't ready for overtime was Darren Helm. Correct. He was ready. <laughs> he was uh, not wanting to go to overtime. So Blues coach Craig Berube, what, 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 what happened? On that play? Yeah, I think early on up the ice, we're kind of in a set four check and we let their D-man get by us and carry the puck up the ice. Created a little bit of a odd man rush. Made a play to the weak side and, you know, they, they shot it and went through some people and went in. I mean, but up ice, we could have done a better job. A lot of times when you give up a goal in the last 10 seconds, it's because guys quit playing. They just assume that the period is over. This wasn't one of those situations. The Blues were still playing. It was just a good play. And yes, the Blues can say we made mistakes, but it was just a good Colorado play. Colorado's a really good team. Best team in the Western Conference. And they finished with the most points in the conference and have a really good chance to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. I think at the end of the day, Colorado winning the series four games to two is probably the way it should have gone. Yes, but there's still that what if. There's still those what ifs that are hanging in the air. And especially the way that it ended, Randy. It's the latest game-winning goal to clinch a series in Stanley Cup playoff history. Yeah. It's history how late that goal happened. And I think there's a lot of Blues fans that are listening this morning that are that are saying, what if Jordan Bennington wasn't oh. knocked out by Nazem Kadri? What if the Blues were able to extend it to overtime and force the Game 7? What if Tory Krug was able to come back? I think that is what's leaving such a bad taste in so many Blues fans' mouths is even though Colorado was the better team mm-hmm. on paper and even though they proved it on ice, 
the Blues were still in it. They were still in it up until the final six seconds, despite not getting the scoring from so many players on their team. The depth did not show up, and despite not having their best player for the entirety of the series. So, Braden Shen, what did the Avalanche do well to beat you? They're they're a good skating team. Uh, they're they're D or mobile active, and um, you know they break out the puck pretty well, uh, actually really well. And um, you know, yeah, you got to have a good forecheck when you have uh, uh, D like that, and um, that's how you sustain uh, ozone time. And we didn't have enough of it. You know, we show it in spurts, but that's not good enough. You know, to win a series. That's what it comes down to. Is against we said it before game one. We said it before every game. Coach said it. Players said it before every single game. If the Blues were going to beat a team with that level of talent, you had to maintain puck possession in the offensive zone, and the Blues just didn't do enough of that. Yeah, Colorado set the tone. They set the pace for the majority of the series. But again, even despite that, there were games that the Blues were in where they could have won. I'm looking back Mm -hmm. at game one and thinking the Blues had no business winning that game, but they could have stolen it. I'm looking back to Friday thinking they were six seconds away from forcing overtime and potentially forcing a game seven. Despite not being their peak, the Blues' peak game, they were still in this series. Meanwhile... Three of the four teams that advanced to the Final Four won their clincher on the road. Tampa Bay was the only team to win their clincher at home last night on the ice of the Carolina Hurricanes. The New York Rangers rolled by a score of 6-2, and they advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they'll play against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Meanwhile, in the West, it'll be Colorado against Edmonton. And I think it'll be really interesting, even though McKinnon and McDavid don't want to talk about playing against each other, apparently. It'll be really interesting to see those two. By the way, I think it'll be kind of like Brady and and Manning. I don't think that we'll see those two on the ice against each other a lot, Mm -hmm. but it'll be fun to watch those guys playing in the same game. Oh, it's going to be the the lead storyline heading into the game, even if they don't want to talk about it. That's what everybody else wants to see and wants to talk about. And as much as I wanted to see the Blues advance, I am intrigued to see which one of those stars is going to shine brighter. Yeah, And, and... we talk about McDavid. Dreisaitl is tied for the lead mm-hmm. in playoff points with 26 with Connor McDavid. Yesterday at the ballpark, the Cardinals opened their three-game series against the Padres with a 6-3 victory. And we used, the last time we were here on Friday, we used the word numbingly consistent for <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt. He continued a numbingly consistent May. The 2-2. And Goldie hits it out to deep left. It's at the wall. That's how you extend the hitting portion of the streak with a two-run bomb. 21 games in a row with a hit for Paul Goldschmidt. Now batting 352 on the season, Michelle with a 418 on base and a 626 slugging percentage. As Danny Mack said, 21 game hitting streak. He's reached base safely in a career high 35 consecutive games, which is the longest streak in the majors this season, and 32 RBI in May. Unreal. Paul Goldschmidt is hotter than hot. And by the way, Michelle, just so that people know to keep an eye and an ear out for this, Goldschmidt will match Pete Rose's 44-game hitting streak on June 23rd in Milwaukee. Oh, okay. And then he'll match Joe DiMaggio July 6th in a game at Atlanta and break the record July 7th in Atlanta. So circle those dates on your calendar because he's not slowing down anytime soon. So now you know here first on 101 ESPN. Well, Randy, his 22 extra base hits this month tie him with Stan Musial and Albert Pujols for the most in any May in Cardinal history. That's amazing. And I was looking... To, to give you an idea of how ridiculous Mark McGuire was, Goldschmidt, as great as he's been, it has an 806 slugging percentage this month. In May of 1998, McGuire had a 907 Ooh. slug. 
16 home runs in the month. Crazy. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Basketball this weekend. Guess who's on his way to the finals? Jason Tatum is one of the best players in the NBA. Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow. And he reps his city. Who do you got in the Super Bowl tonight? Oh, the St. Louis Rams. Oh, he can't let it go. The St. Louis Rams. It's time for the Jason Tatum Minute on Carriker and Smallman. Back out to Tatum. Sidestep three, tough shot and splash down. Sparks inbound. It's Tatum, spins, fires, butter. Struce again, fires the three, and that might do it. Al Horford with the rebound, throws it up in the air, and the Boston Celtics will go to the NBA Finals. St. Louis and Jason Tatum leading the Celtics to the finals with a Game 7 win, 100-96 to over Miami. He led the Celtics, 26 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 9 of 21 from the floor, including 4 of 7 from 3-point land. And the Celts will play at San Francisco against Golden State Thursday night in Game 1 of the NBA Finals. As Jimmy Butler said at the end of Game 7, this is your title. Go get it to mm-hmm. Jason Tatum. And I think he's right. Even though the Golden State Warriors are a beast and that's going to be no easy task for Jason Tatum, he's got this. I think that he has a very good chance of leading the Celtics to an NBA championship. And what a season for the Celtics. Brad Stevens moving to the front office. Uh-huh. Ime Udoka, first year as a head coach, and he's taking this team to the NBA Finals. But you can't say enough about the hometown kid, Jason Tatum, and how proud we are of him. He's awesome. And by the way, Marcus Smart, who was coached by Travis Ford at Oklahoma State, uh, the Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA, is also going to be in this series. He'll have his hands full. He'll have probably Steph Curry. But I wonder, I guess it's Draymond on on Tatum, which is going to be a really interesting matchup. Matthew? Uh, Andrew Wiggins. Oh, it'll be Wiggins. Yeah, Wiggins, so, okay, is, so Wiggins is going to draw yeah. a lot of Tatum. I, think, I mean, Dr- yeah. Draymond's going to get him because he's Draymond, yeah. but it'll be a lot of Wiggins. So, so if it's Wiggins, then uh, congratulations, Celtics. Get ready for your parade. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I also really quickly want to shout out Jimmy Butler because mm-hmm. what, Stud. what a postseason he had. In Game 6 and 7 of the Eastern Conference Final, Randy, 47 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists in Game 6, 35-9, and 34 of 24 for field goals in Game 7. He played all but two minutes in the final two games. He really left everything he had out on the floor and even though I of course wanted Jason Tatum Mm -hmm. and the Celtics to advance I really love Jimmy Butler I love the way he plays the intensity with which he plays and I just think that he needs to be in the conversation more when we talk about superstars in the NBA if they had the 28 year old Kyle Lowry they'd be playing in the finals if they had the healthy Victor Oladipo they'd be playing in the finals they have all the elements they have Bam at center He's, he's really good the problem is is that the elements aren't what they used to be. They've got some used-up guys mm-hmm. in Oladipo and Kyle Lowry. And by the way, Tyler Hero is a really nice player, too. They just they need one more in-his-prime, really good player to compliment Jimmy Butler, I think. Mm-hmm. And if they get that, then... And he says, yeah, we're going to be working out together all offseason. You know they are. Oh, for sure. You know that he's going to force them to. Yeah, he's the most intense guy in the league right now. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Off and running here on 101 ESPN. Next up, what do the Blues need to do to get over the hump against Colorado and make it to the finals next year? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. The Blues eliminated from the playoffs with Friday night's 3-2 loss to the Colorado Avalanche. And oh, by the way, the Blues are built to be a team that gets and maintains a lead. And they had a 2-1 lead heading into the third period. Gave up the power play goal to come for his second of the night before allowing the winner. Michelle, there's... A few things that I think the Blues can do to close the gap between themselves and the Final Four. And the first one is pretty easy. Keep your goalie healthy. Keep Jordan Bennington healthy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. He was playing lights out. I think so many people in St. Louis will go to their graves saying if Jordan Bennington had been healthy, the Blues would have won this series. Or he at least would have put them in the best position to. But that's the thing, Randy, is that when I think about ways the Blues can close the gap, and I look at the team that showed up versus Colorado, it was not the peak version of this team. It was not the healthiest version of this team. You had defensemen, Tory Krug being an example, Marco Scandella, who was banged up, who were out. You had Jordan Bennington who got knocked out of the series and you had nine 20 plus goal scorers in this series and frankly a lot of them didn't show up you didn't get Ivan Barbashev and Braden Shen on the score sheet Vladimir Tarasenko Brandon Saad and Pavel Buchnevich were not the peak versions of themselves I think that had the Blues been the version of themselves that we had seen this season they were a team that could have easily beaten Colorado but that's not what happens in the playoffs so I think st- staying healthy in the postseason is probably still Step number one, but when it gets to the playoffs, every team is some version of banged up. The playoffs are a different game altogether. I can give Pavel Buchnevich a pass for struggling in the playoffs. There's very little reason for Robert Thomas to perform the way that he did in the playoffs. There's no reason whatsoever in the Colorado series, and Vladimir Tarasenko was, for the most part, fine against Minnesota. But when your best and highest paid player is not your best player, then you've got a problem. And Ryan O'Reilly was fine. Those two both make $7.5 million, Tarasenko and Mm O'Reilly. And we know Vladdy knows what it takes because we saw him win a Stanley Cup. I, I hope that he was just hurt. But I fear that that hunger, that intensity that we saw on display in 2019 is gone. And I think one thing the Blues can do to close the gap is move on from Vladimir Tarasenko and get a player that's at least a little bit more reliable. And by the way, they're going to have Jake Neighbors here. Now, is Neighbors ever going to be a 35-goal guy? Probably not. But he's big, he's young, he's fast. And he's intense. And that's what the Blues are going to need. And then they'll have to count on Abuchnevich stepping up. They'll have to count on Robert Thomas being better in the playoffs. They'll have to count on David Braun keeping at the ages of 34, 35. Mm-hmm. What he has, or yeah, yeah, 30, just turned 34, right? 34 and 35 doing what he's doing. And one of the other big things that I'm not sure about is they need Jordan Cairo to continue to ascend. And hopefully... He will learn a lot from mm-hmm. these playoffs, and that will give him some seasoning moving forward because he's another person who you didn't expect the version of what you got of him. You thought that you were going to get an accelerated version of, of Jordan Kyra in these playoffs. But, Randy, going back to Vladimir Tarasenko, what I can't make heads or tails of is 
the version that we saw of him versus Colorado and how I align that with the 82-point guy, the 34-goal scorer that played like a man on a mission throughout the regular season. And as you said, we're about to find out in the coming days just what a lot of these guys have been dealing with in the postseason. And everybody is battling something, it seems, at this time of year. But it just felt like that intensity that we saw from Vladdy all during the regular season was not what we saw of him versus Colorado. No. And if you're the Blues, you know that at, at some point in the offseason, at least he or his agent had expressed a desire to move on. He did a very good job of being a professional and showing up every day and being a really good and productive Blue. But that doesn't leave your mind. And if you think that you're not going to get that version of him in the playoffs moving forward, I think Doug Armstrong is probably already making calls and he knows what the landscape is going to look like this offseason. And it's a valid defense to say that Vladimir Tarasenko was defended well by Colorado because he was. Mm-hmm. But those are the sorts of players that you, at playoff time, expect to rise to the occasion and be better than the opposition. doesn't matter what they're doing defensively against me. I'm going to score a goal. And for him to only have the one against Colorado was troubling. And the other thing I look at here is not, and this has nothing to do personally with Tarasenko or even really the playoffs, but is it a smart move for a team to sign a guy who played 34 games in the two years previous to this one. Smart to sign a guy that's going to turn 31 in December to a five-year, six-year, seven-year contract. I just don't think that's smart business on the part of any sports team to sign a guy with an injury history like that to an extension like Vladimir Tarasenko should command. Now, I think a lot of people are saying, why haven't you guys brought up Matthew Kachuk yet? Because that, I think, is what all Blues fans Mm -hmm. want. If they really want to close the gap, they're thinking, well, we know a guy who would be perfect for the job. A guy who had 104 points in the regular season. That's Matthew Kachuk. Now, I don't know if that's something that Doug Armstrong can do this offseason. They might have to wait another year until he's in a position where he can make that decision himself. But Matthew Kachuk certainly seems like the piece that would help you close that gap. Yeah, and I just don't think so he's going to make $9 million next year. I don't think that there's a way to keep both David Perron and have Matthew Kachuk on your team, even if you trade Tarasenko. And if I can, and by the way, you'll have to give up assets. You'll have to give up mm-hmm. Jordan Cairo and picks and probably somebody else to get a guy like Matthew Kachuk. Are you better off just going through next year and getting him as an unrestricted free agent after next year? That, w- If I were Doug Armstrong and Tom Stillman, that would be my approach because I really want to keep David Perron on this team. I would have had a contract ready for him the second he stepped off yeah, the ice yeah. after Game 6 at Enterprise Center. And there has to be a healthy balance between young ascending players and a, a veteran core that really establishes your identity and what is the identity of the St. Louis Blues without David Perron? He was their leading playoff scorer with 13 points. Had nine goals, four assists. He was their leading goal scorer and their leading points producer in the playoffs. When you think of the St. Louis Blues and what St. Louis Blues hockey is, to me, you think of Braden Jen, you think of Ryan O'Reilly, and you think of David Perron. Mm -hmm. We have a a different insight into him because we get to speak to him every week, but not only is he giving you that production on the ice and he's setting the tone, we know all of the little intricacies of who David Perron is as a leader 
player and the way that he motivates his teammates and the way that he knows how to speak to certain guys or, or tries to push the right buttons to get the best out of other people and the way that he would tell us how he, he knows certain guys need a joke at a certain time because that's how they respond to things. He's just a leader and a huge part of the culture of the St. Louis Blues, and I would not let him walk. Now, over the course of the weekend, and I know emotions are raw, there has been a lot of complaining about Colton Pareko. Obviously, the delay of the game penalty was troubling. The turnovers in the playoffs were troubling. But this is a guy, he and his defense mates, George, uh, Justin Falk, Tory Krug, all make six and a half million dollars. They're the tied for twenty eighth among defensemen in salary in the NHL. This year, Colton Pareko was twenty sixth in ice time in the league. He was fifth in blocked shots in the league. He was a plus thirty two after the break. Now, Chris Pronger told us a couple of weeks ago when I when I asked him, he got kind of got mad, didn't he? And he said, "Just leave him alone." Well, he was basically saying, don't compare him to me. He's never going to be me. He's his own player. Here is Prongs on that particular comparison. Well, again, I think you all need to leave him alone, number one. He's not me. He's Colton Pareko. Uh, And you can't make a player play the way he doesn't play. Uh, Secondly, I think he needs to use his attributes. Yes, he's big, and and he's a great skater and rangy and he needs to use those assets, you know, close the gap, create turnovers at the blue line to, to create uh, odd man rush opportunities and get in the transition game. Uh, he needs to stay within himself and not stop listening. You know, I don't know if he even cares, but stop listening to people asking him to, to play the way that he does not play. He's going to, he's his own player. So that's valid. And that comes from a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. And there are things that Colton Pareko can do. But to say that Colton Pareko is worthless or a bad player is pretty disingenuous. He's a really important player for this team. And somebody emailed me last night complaining about him. And I emailed back and said, look, (laughs) I, I... I really respect your opinion. I really respect my opinion. But I respect Doug Armstrong's more. And Mm -hmm. if Doug Armstrong is going to evaluate the guy and say that he's worthy of the contract, then I'm not going to say no. I remember after 2018, I'd said on our air, and I, you know, I I always like to tell people what I say. So when I said that uh, Oscar Sundquist was the worst player that I've ever, ever seen play for the Blues. I pointed that out. And Armstrong said, hey, this guy's going to be good. He's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And Oscar Sundquist became a key part of a Stan- a really key part, the engine of a Stanley Cup champion. So with all due respect to all of us, I, I threw myself into this mix because I complain about players as much as you do. But Doug Armstrong knows a whole lot more than we do. <laughs> Hasn't Doug Armstrong earned the benefit of the doubt? I think he has. If yeah. anyone in, in St. Louis sports history has earned the benefit of the doubt, I think Doug Armstrong, we can all argue, is yeah. tied for first yeah. so, <laughs> with everything that he's done. Yeah. So, in regards to Colton Pareko, number one, he's not going anywhere. He hasn't even started his new contract. But for what he's being paid and what he is, he's fine. He's fine. Now, are players going to make individual mistakes in games? Yes. There, there are. Things that are going to happen during the course of a game, nobody's perfect. But I sat here for six years, Michelle, hearing people whine and complain about Jay Bomeister. And then they were, <laughs> when he was gone, they said, oh, we're, we can't live without Jay Bomeister. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. 
sometimes you don't realize what you have till it's gone. <laughs> exactly. And I think Jay Bolmeister is example A of that yeah. because as soon as he wasn't on the team, you realized everything he brought to it. Do you think with Colton Preco though, Randy, it's that he's not mean enough or they mm-hmm. or, or fans don't think he's tough enough? Right. And like we talked with Prongs about, he you can't do what Chris Pronger did when he was playing 20 years ago. You get suspended every other game. Mm-hmm. And there, we just don't have big, mean defensemen in the NHL. Now you have guys that hit, like Joel Edmondson did when he was here and cleared people out of the crease. But that's not the reason that they signed Colton Pareko to the contract. They, they know who Colton Pareko is, and he's not that guy that's going to be clearing the crease. So you have to, ex- you have to accept him for what he is. And is, is he a Stanley Cup champion? Yeah. Is he is a guy who's playing hurt last year with a bad back? Yeah. Is he a guy that plays on a team that goes to the playoffs and is one of the biggest minutes guy for a playoff team every year? Yeah. So you kind of have to just take him for what he is. It's going to be a very interesting offseason mm-hmm. for Doug Armstrong. Speaking of an army we trust, and we trust his judgment more than anyone, is this the last time we're going to see Vladimir Tarasenko? What's going to happen with Ville Husso, David Perron, Tyler Bozak? There's clearly some moves that are going to be made, and usually it's not the one that we're all thinking of that Doug Armstrong pulls out. Yeah, it'll be who expected Butchinavich last offseason, right? Not me. Not me either. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the Cardinals with a win yesterday against the Padres. But, man, what a different-looking lineup it was than what we expected to see towards the end of May. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on the Padres again tonight at the ballpark after a 6-3 win over San Diego yesterday. Michelle, there are going to be 12 playoff teams in Major League Baseball in 2022. Right now, there are 12 teams over 500 in Major League Baseball. And if the playoffs started today, all 12 of the teams that are over 500 would make the playoffs. If you're 500 or below, you wouldn't. And of course, the Cardinals are in that group. That would make the playoffs. That would, yes. And this is a team that is is interesting to this point. And we still haven't seen a lot of the players ascend that we've expected to. Tyler O'Neill, Jack Flaherty. This is a team that could still potentially get a lot better after the All-Star break. But I wonder, once, once we get to the All-Star break, now Nolan Gorman is here mm-hmm. and playing second base. And I don't know if folks have been watched on MILB, but poor Paul uh, DeYoung, he just looks defeated. He just looks like... He he just looks like he can't play. Yeah. It's 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 sad. So Gorman is here. Edmund is at second. Yesterday you've got Yepes playing in left field because of the injury to Tyler O'Neill. Then Newt Barr comes in for him. You've got Brendan Donovan in right field, and Donovan has a two ninety four average with a four twenty two on base and a four twenty six slug. I wonder if when we get to the All Star break, Michelle, if this team will look way different than what we thought it would look like on opening day because. Carlson's going to be in the lineup, but you can't bring back a, a Tyler O'Neill if he's in less than 200 and sit one of these other guys. We certainly expected Corey Dickerson to be better and more productive than he's been. I wonder if he'll be on the team. My guess is that when we get to a month and a half from now to the All-Star break, that this team that's playing right now probably will have more guys on it than what we thought we would have then on opening day. 
if a guy gets an opportunity and he's having success, you're going to ride with the hot hand, whether it's the Memphis Mafia guys or if Tyler O'Neill comes back in and he gets hot. That's what Oliver Marmol is going to do is he's going to ride the hot hand. But Randy, I love seeing all of these young guys coming up and taking advantage of these opportunities. And the youthful energy, mm-hmm. it, it really does permeate throughout the clubhouse. Now, there's a couple of other things that the Cardinals need to get going. Not the least of which, thank goodness it's the last day of May for Nolan Arenado because he's at like 190 this month. Yeah, not, it hasn't been so kind so, to him. Paul no. Goldschmidt has been on a tear. Nolan Arenado, not so much. And eventually those two will get hot together and that'll be scary for the rest of the league. And then Yachty had a hit yesterday. He's hitting 235. But my guess is that Yachty is going to be preserved primarily for August, September, and October. Yeah. And it's, it's nice that Kisner has provided what he has provided for the Cardinals to this point, because I still think, even though he's playing more, that Yadier Molina is being eased in here rather than just forced into action. Yeah, they're, they have a plan, and they're going to be smart with the way that they deploy and use Yadier Molina because they know what a valuable resource he is. And if this is, in fact, a team that is going to make a run in the playoffs, they want to make sure that Yadi is going to be the guy for that stretch. But, Randy, real quick, I want to go back to what you said about Paul DeYoung because as you were saying that, it, it got me thinking. It's hard to believe that it's almost June already. Mm-hmm. You know, the season comes in a hurry. It gets going in a hurry. But think about all the debate and consternation prior to the season about how long the leash for Paul DeYoung would be. And Nolan Gorman heating it up in the minors, we said he's going to eventually force their hand. Mm -hmm. If he continues to perform at this clip, they're going to have to bring him up. Thank goodness they made the move when they did. Can you imagine? And yes, Nolan Gorman had to be putting up those numbers for the, and so did Paul DeYoung for that conversation to even happen. But sometimes... The Cardinals, or at least we feel like they're guilty of playing the contract and letting things go on for too long, even mm-hmm. if the fans believe it's expired. But they made the move with Paul DeYoung at the right time. And even though they, they didn't know what it would be like defensively, shifting Tommy Edmond away from second base, this seems to be a move that's paying dividends. And can you imagine if Paul DeYoung had been here any longer and yeah. had been putting up those numbers? It just would have prolonged the inevitable. Yeah, it would have been... a a bad situation. Yeah. It really would have. But now you have Gorman making the impact that he's made, especially over the weekend. Here's the Cardinal skipper, Ali Marmol. Yeah, he, he can put a little fear in uh, that opposing side. At any point, he can leave the yard, and we're seeing uh, a combination of that and also just being a hitter. Um, he was in swing mode there. That walk he took, that's a big walk. Um, when you get into swing mode and you foul that many pitches off as a young kid, to be able to take that next one um, that showed us a lot. Michelle, I'm, I'll, I'll look it up here during the course of the morning, but don't you just get this sense when he hits a ball, Nolan Gorman, mm-hmm. that he hits it hard. I wonder what his average exit velocity is. We'll find out. That's a good question because he does put some juice on it, no doubt. Yeah. And now the other thing that the Cardinals have to look at is their starting rotation. Packy Naughton with a spot start and the Cardinals were able to get a win out of it, had to use up their bullpen. You've got the injuries that you're dealing with uh, to Stephen Matz and Jordan Hicks. So that begs the question, where is Jack Flaherty right now? Will he be back by the All-Star break? Yesterday, Jimmy the Cat Hayes on Bally Sports had a chance to ask the Cardinal Pobo, John Mozeliak, about that very point. Well, obviously he's getting much closer because the fact that he's facing hitters is very encouraging. I think what we'll do is we'll see how he recovers after Tuesday and then decide if we should do that again or if it's time to maybe get him out on a rehab. So it's a little bit of a TBD, but we are encouraged where he's at. 
That drew a little bit of a smile from Michelle Smallman. Well, I was thinking a rehab. The fact that they're even bringing that up publicly, they probably feel pretty good that it's around the corner. I'm, John Mozalek is a very measured and um, calculated guy. Mm-hmm. He's not going to say a rehab is close if, if they don't know that it's around the corner. The fact that he says they're encouraged by what they're seeing from Jack Flaherty makes me encouraged, Randy, because they're going to need him. And hopefully they'll get him back sooner rather than later. I'm I'm still thinking, here we are at the beginning of June, six weeks. Maybe get him back before the All-Star break. I don't know. I, I, if they get him back before the All-Star break, I will look at that as a bonus. So will I. And maybe that will be beneficial for them because they can see what he's working with, kind of ease him in and then have that, yep. that break. But... Gosh, I'm looking at the board, Randy. You have Jack Flaherty. Your prediction was 24 start, 16 and 4, 2.73. It's going to have to be like an old Hoss Radburn type second half for Jack Flaherty. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And today the Cardinals will take on the Padres again. Balake Snell, former Cy Young Award winner. Balake. Balake, yeah. Oh. You done done messed up, Balake, facing the Cardinals. A A Ron. <laughs> Jaquelin's my favorite. Jaquelin. Jaquelin. Or D nice. D nice, yeah. D nice is good too. And uh Snell will go against Adam Wainwright, six forty five at the ballpark, still tickets available. Coming up, take it or leave it on one oh one ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one oh one ESPN. Take it. Or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Matthew, and Randy. Michelle, did you see this weekend? that the Michigan Panthers became the first team to lose a USFL overtime game. Wow. Jeff Fisher's Michigan Panthers lost Mm -hmm. to New Orleans on Saturday night, 31-27. Now, the kicker here is that previously, Fisher had cut the first pick in the USFL draft, his quarterback, Shea Patterson, who went to New Orleans and was telling the New Orleans players everything that Michigan was going to run. Oh, (laughs) yikes. Come on, Fish. Jeff Fisher should never, under any circumstances, be allowed to make decisions about quarterbacks. Hmm. I might have to take that because that's not not really his M.O. He's all about ground and pound, Randy. We need a strong run game. Yeah. Defense and run game. Yeah. So they play 10 games in this league. His team is 1-6. and six. Take it or leave it, he's going to go to the USFL office and say, hey, can you just kind of forget the first seven games of the season, then they'll all have a beer? Is he on the USFL competition committee? He is. He makes the rules, basically. Okay. So yeah, there you go. He'll be able to sway or whip the votes. And by the way, I just want to, I'm going to uh, take my picture of Jeff Fisher over to Michelle because she has to see this. Okay. I'm going to vamp here while Randy is walking over to show me. Uh, and we're looking at Jeff Fisher. Oh, the backwards hat. Yeah. But is there a more dismal backwards looking backwards hat? I mean, it just, it just looks, it's kind of backwards. It, it's like rapper-esque. It's sideways backwards. Yeah. But this is not the first time we've seen Jeff Fisher look like this. Coach, that man, that man just wants to like live in a tent on Venice Beach so bad, and just just go do it, dude. Just go do it. What a mess.
a tent on Venice Beach. Are you saying he wants to be homeless? That's the the vibe he has. (laughs) I actually disagree with that because he's made a lot of money. I don't think he wants to be homeless. Vibes. It's the vibe he gives off when he wears the backwards hat at his age. He looks like somebody who just wants to be like skateboarding down Venice Beach every day for like seven hours. He doesn't look like he really has a lot of purpose in life. You know, shotgun a. White Claw with the bros. <laughs> I don't think he wants to be homeless. That's, those are those are yeah. parallel aesthetics, essentially. No, I, I don't think <laughs> it's just because you're a bro, you look homeless. I don't think Jeff Fisher looks homeless. I think he might not look like his age, but he doesn't look right. like he's homeless. The league is kind of a disaster, and he's the face of it. But did you expect the league to not be a disaster, no. though? Yeah, so there you go. Okay, Randy. Uh, so the Rams won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Avalanche beat the Blues. Mm-hmm. Nazem Kadri advances. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. You're wondering where karma is. I'll take that. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed in karma today. I think a lot of people in St. Louis just kind of assumed, oh, well, karma's going to show up at some, some point, point for all of these bad guys. Yeah. And no, they're just thriving. Yeah, they're advancing. Now some Kadri hat trick. He's on to the next round. Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Stan Kroenke, his teams continue to win. Where is karma? I don't know. Are he, you asleep at the wheel, karma? The guy that literally kicked people out of their longtime homes. And karma isn't having an effect yet? Come his on. team should not be winning. Where no. is karma? Come on, karma. I'm with you. I, I agree. That I'll take that. Thank you. Karma's a disappointment today. Big time disappointment. Your text 65780. Matthew, what do you got? 636, take it or leave it. Tyler O'Neill will be in a trade package for a starting pitcher at the trade deadline this season. Leave it. I don't think that he'll be able to restore his offensive reputation by the trade deadline this season. So you don't think the interest will be there, not that they wouldn't try to move him? Exactly. I think they'll try to move him. I I, I don't think next year he can play here. He was my MVP pick of the team prior to the season. Mm-hmm. How many people did we speak to that said he's going to be better than he was last year? He's going to be an MVP candidate. Yeah, tons, tons. But and I know we injuries are, play a part. Injuries yeah. play a big part. We are just over a year away from Jordan Walker, who's their number one prospect. And by the way, they'll have to move him to the outfield. But at some point, you're going to have Carlson in left, Bader in center, and Walker in right. Yeah, we're only 13 days removed because tomorrow will be two weeks from Adam Wainwright saying that's the guy to watch. You know, to turn it over for the rest of the season was time. I mean, he still believed in him to turn it over. So, do you really think the Cardinals would sell low, that low on a guy who had, who had such promise? You Not know, this year, a month no. and a half ago. No, you, you, you let him restore things, and then yeah, you you if you're going to move him, you do it next offseason. And by the way, there's no guarantees yet about Walker. I mean, you have to move him to the outfield first. Friend of the show, Jordan Walker, to yeah, be clear, right. And you, you've got other guys. Brendan Donovan has been a revelation, <laughs> bouncing around in the uh, in the outfield. So there, the, Yepes, and he's probably going to wind up being your DH. But they've got options in the outfield, no doubt about it. Take it or leave it. Pat Maroon is the real karma. I hope so. Yeah, take it. I hope so. Yeah, but. It'd be a pretty good. Balance. By the way, I mean, Pat Maroon against Ryan Reeves for the Eastern Conference t- Championship. Two of STL's favorites. Yep, pretty good. Yeah, that's, I love that that's happening. Take it or leave it. Cards are still winning more than 90 games this year. Take it. I'll take that. I think they're on pace for 91 as we speak. As I say, it's going to be close, but I'll take it. Yeah, they still have 48 left against the Cubs, Reds, and Pirates. So, yeah, I think so. 618, take it or leave it. Jeff Fisher will win the final three games of his season. That's going to make him 4-6 and six because that's the USFL equivalent of 7-9. and nine. Oh, you got to take that, of course. Yep, and then you always win them at the end too, right? Are they, are they division yeah, games? To, you think yeah, they're division because, games? Because then he'll t- tell his team at the end, hey, you know, last four games of the season, you guys were the best in the league. 
<laughs> he was fun to cover. He was interesting. Fun wasn't the word I was going to use. Uh, take it or leave it. The Some re- people had a lot of lot more fun with him than others. Take it or leave it. The reasons karma hasn't showed up for Stan is because he sold his soul to the devil. Yeah. I'm taking hmm. that one. I'm taking that one in a heartbeat. Absolutely. He is the devil, though. Could he sell the soul, his soul to himself? If anyone would do it, it would be Stan Kroenke. Can he profit off of it? Probably yeah, not. Exactly. Take it or leave it. The Oilers are going to boat race the abs. There's your karma. Oh, man. I, I would love to think so. I don't know if I can take that. I don't think they're going to boat race them, but I hope they beat them. But, yeah. It's going to be tough. The Edmonton goaltending situation leaves something to be desired. And that is something, looking back on this series, Darcy Kemper, you was beatable. He was yep. so beatable. And you look at the depth of scoring that you had on this Blues team, if that would have showed up, and again, Colorado did a good job, stick taps to them, they're a great team. But you just think about certain matchups and the, the Blues scoring depth versus a beatable goaltender. I mean, it was there for the taking. Gosh, Randy, I go back to that Jordan Cairo opportunity oh, yeah. in Game 6. Ugh. There was just so many little moments going back and looking at that series where Tons you're like, that could have shifted everything. Right. So many different moments. Take it or leave it. If the Cardinals had a healthy Jack Flaherty, they'd be in first. I'll take that. Four games behind right now. I don't think that's unreasonable. Although, I think the Cardinals' problems are more because of their inconsistent offense rather than the pitching. But I, I think Flaherty is worth probably... If you have Flaherty in there rather than Hicks, yeah, I, I think that's probably worth four more wins. Take it or leave it. Letting Michaelis, your de facto ace, throw 115 pitches in a game you should have been pulled tells me that this staff is in a little bit of trouble. Uh, I'm going to leave that. Doesn't tell me that. He's a horse. He he, he, he can throw 115. Pitches. Yeah, they're they're relying on him because he's been amazing this yeah. season. I think that was a little bit like uh, the Wayno, the last Wayno start as well, where they kind of just let him go and, and take some hits on him because it was like, listen, you can take this a little bit. You're not going to get rattled by it. We need to save the bullpen. We don't need to put somebody out there who's going to get you know just you know beat up and hate it. Well, and Wayno says, "I'm the old guy," and I told him, "Abuse me." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Utilize me as much as you need to. Exactly. Take it or leave it. St. Louis should have put their hat in the ring for a location for games for the World Cup in 2026. I'll take it. Kansas no. City's got their name in there. Yeah, why not? You're going to have a premier soccer facility in the United States of America. Great soccer town. Yep. Why not? Centrally located. I think the problem is the size of the available outdoor stadiums, though. Because Arrowhead is going to be where they're playing in KC, right? I mean, I I assume so, yeah. Yeah, I think all of the buildings are going to be, like, I think there's a minimum that you have to have. Hmm. But you can have qualifiers in Bush. Why not? Just saying. Yeah, and even just throw your name in there. Yeah, why not? I mean, just you know, get your name on the map, exactly. Because because you know, I opened up my laptop one day, and there was a bunch of stories about Kansas City putting their name in and you yep. know getting consideration. Hey. It's like that's just good publicity. You miss a hundred percent percent of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, both said it. It's the it's the journalistic version of having cranes in the sky. You know, always be always be moving, always be building. Take it or leave it. A healthy Petrangelo to the existing Blues roster would have made the Blues a favorite over Colorado. I'm going to leave that. Does Jordan Bennington still get hurt? I was just going to say, it, 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 the same injuries are already existing. I don't think Petro would have been the, the X factor or the difference no. maker. Now, maybe he would have been able to get his, his skates in the blue paint, eh? Maybe. And, but I doubt it. Hey, let's let's be real here. Colorado's better than the Blues. They are. Yeah. But so. let's also be real. 
Jordan Bennington was the best player on the ice for either team. Yep. Yeah, he he would have off had a chance at least to offset mm-hmm. the the quality, the margin by which Colorado is better. And just from an emotional and mental standpoint, when your best player gets taken out, as Ryan O'Reilly said, that's yeah. the heart and soul of your team that's yeah. taken out. That's very difficult to overcome. Devastating. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, how confident are you in Doug Armstrong being able to build another Stanley Cup champion for next year here in St. Louis? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Coming up on 803 in St. Louis in 3, 2, 1. Woof, it's officially 803. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you. And Michelle, ever since Doug Armstrong became the president of hockey operations, general manager of the St. Louis Blues, they have been one of the best teams in the league. And they have been able to continue to bring good young players into the fold. And Jake Neighbors next year will be the... Uh, the next in line, but people like Thomas and Cairo and Colton Pareko, uh, Barbashev, they have drafted a lot of players with either post first round picks or late first round picks. They haven't had a pick in the top 10 uh, since before Doug Armstrong was the, the, the Poho. So our question right now is how confident are we in Doug Armstrong being able to build a Stanley Cup champion in 2023? I'm supremely confident that he can do it. If it's on a scale from 1 to 10, Randy, I'm an 11 out of 10 in my confidence mm-hmm. factor with Doug Armstrong. He he brings Ryan O'Reilly to St. Louis. I mean, the Justin Falk move that he made, anticipating that Alex Petrangelo might not be here. How about bringing in Nick Letty this year mm-hmm. as a supplement to this team to, to shore up the defense? I mean, the list goes on and on and on of moves that he's made to not only open the window, Randy, but prop it open, keep it open for this team to win a Stanley Cup. And when I look back on the past three seasons and think about reasons why the Blues didn't get it done, I don't necessarily think it's strictly because Doug Armstrong didn't put together a team that could contend for a cup. When you look back in 2020, it was a global pandemic and a disruption and a bubble that stopped a team who had a very good chance of repeating from getting there. Should they have won in the bubble? Sure. But there was unprecedented factors working against them. And we know that some teams didn't react well to the bubble, the Blues namely being one of them. Last season, was Colorado a better team? Sure. But the fact that you didn't have Justin Falk, you didn't have your best player heading into the playoffs and David Perron who tested positive for COVID that's certainly something that you look at as a what if scenario and then again this season you had injuries to Tory Krug the defense was was banged up and then you have the best player in Jordan Bennington who wasn't available to you in the second round there's a lot of what ifs that are outside of Doug Armstrong's control that played Mm -hmm. into them not getting it done I don't look at the construction of the team as one of the reasons why the Blues haven't won a cup in the past three years I go back to after the Blues were knocked out by San Jose in 2016 in the conference finals. And Ken Hitchcock said, hey, we don't want this just to be a one-year deal. We want this to be a five-year window that's open. Hitchcock said that in 16. So 
He was thinking 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And the core of that team was Vladimir Tarasenko, who's still here. But then Steen, Stastny, Shattenkirk, Petro, Robbie Fabry was a rookie, and they were hoping for him to come along. Uh, Colton Pareko was a 22-year-old rookie, and he was coming along. You had Jake Allen and Brian Elliott between the pipes. You had... Almost a completely different core there, a completely different nucleus, where you wanted to have a five-year window. Now, you look at the core of the team in this season and how different it is, and the fact that there's still a Stanley Cup contender, and you still had Tarasenko, but now it's Thomas and Butchnevich and O'Reilly and Perron and Kairou and Shen, and obviously Jordan Bennington. It's a completely different nucleus seven years later. No, yeah, seven years later. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, I, th- I think the window is still open. And there are adjustments that will need to be made, yes. But can Armstrong make the moves to get them back to the Stanley Cup next year? Yes. You bring up such a great point, Randy, because how many Blues fans thought if we don't win a cup with the David Backish, TJ Oshie crew, mm-hmm. we're never going to win one. They're the guys that are going to get it done. And how many people were very skeptical of Doug Armstrong when he moved on from those guys and they still were able to get it done. He really has a great sense of not only when to acquire a player, but when to move on from yeah. one as well. And so that's why I think if Doug Armstrong thinks it's time to move on from Vladimir Tarasenko and after not finding the correct dance partner last offseason, he's able to get it done this offseason, I think most fans would and should give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that year, Anaheim, who terrible now, they won the Pacific Division. The Kings made the playoffs this year after a rebuild. The Sharks, who are terrible now, were third in the division. Arizona uh, was a winning team that last year. Now they're one of the worst teams in the league. In our division, Dallas won the division, and they've taken a step back mm-hmm. now, and they, they barely made the playoffs. The Blackhawks, who've been terrible for a few years, were third behind the Blues in the division. Nashville, who admits right now they're in what's called a competitive rebuild. Uh, they were fourth in the division last year. The only team that is in our conference in the Western Conference that has consistently stayed on top of their game is the St. Louis Blues. Now granted the Blues made missed the playoffs by a point in 2018 but they came back the next year and they won the Stanley Cup. I think most fans would take that. Yeah. And <laughs> if I'm not and I'll get the statistic if I'm not mistaken since Army took over I believe the Blues have the most wins of any team in the league. That wouldn't surprise me. No. Absolutely not. And Let's not forget, not only is it player acquisitions and moves, us getting rid of Mike Yo and bringing in Craig Berube to be the head coach mm-hmm. in season, in season, might have ranked right up there with one of the best moves that Doug Armstrong has ever made. I, I know a lot of people might point to, to certain contracts. I know people aren't necessarily thrilled with the output that Marco Scandella has provided for the amount of money that he's making. Or, you know, they might have an issue here or there with maybe a deal that Doug Armstrong has done. But I think overwhelmingly positive when you look at the body mm-hmm. of work in totality. Uh, so in Army, we trust as far as I'm concerned. Whatever move he deems to be the correct one, I'm riding with Army. And I wonder if there is, and he's, heck, he traded TJ Oshie, right? So he's made probably the most controversial trade yeah. that he'll make as the Blues general manager. But, but I wonder if, in general, the Blues fan base feels like we do. If he's earned such a benefit of the doubt that even if he makes a trade, you say, well, 
It is Doug Armstrong ma- making it, so I feel better about it. If you don't feel that way, 65780, I would love to know what example you cite as a reason why you don't have confidence in this man. Because yeah. maybe there's something that you're seeing that I'm not. Because I think whatever thing that you're going to point to, I probably have seven other things that I can counter with that he's well, done that have been positive positives for the Blues. And Michelle, I'm big on people smarter than me making choices. And when yeah. Team Canada always has Doug Armstrong as a general manager <laughs> or assistant general manager for their Olympic or world championship teams, I'm really going to buy into what they think because those Canadian hockey people should theoretically be the smartest hockey people in the world, right? You would think. And they're hiring the guy. So if they're hiring the guy, I'm going to say, yeah, he must be pretty good. I would think so. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals taking on the Padres again tonight at the ballpark, and a new Joe West 5460 podcast is out. We're going to talk about that and more with our friend Mike Claiborne next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinionated and proud of it, this is Character and Smallman live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And it's always fun on Tuesday to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line when Mike Claiborne is standing by. Claibsonline.com, the Joe West 5460 podcast. And of course, working on the Cardinal Radio Network. We will hear the broadcast between the Cards and Padres tonight. Good morning, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I hope you all are doing the same. We are. And I want to start with this because obviously the lineup that we saw over the weekend with the injuries to Carlson and O'Neill and the demotion of Paul DeYoung, a lot different than what we saw and expected on opening day. Mike, do you think that this is sustainable with these young guys? Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, they, they do the basics really well. And they're seeing a variety of different pitching. Uh, and I'll I tell you, um, Brendan Donovan has just done a real interesting job playing right field. Uh, I, I really like his approach and how he plays the game. But, you know, I think at some point they'll all hit the wall and then they have to reload and reset. But, you know, overall I think that, I think it's a good setup. I think it gives them some good depth. Uh, they've got some youngsters in the minor league system that are really emerging. So I, I like the direction of the team. Well, Claves, I want to highlight two young guys in particular, Matthew Libertor and Nolan Gorman, who both had uh, strong weekends for the St. Louis Cardinals. What was your thought on what you've seen out of these two so far? I was impressed with their ability to adjust, um, especially Libertor. Uh, his first outing in Pittsburgh, he was okay. He did a nice job. I thought he showed to be a little bit more aggressive in his second outing at home. Uh, you know, he has more than a curveball. I mean, he's got a variety of pitches. I just think he has to throw them with confidence. And Gorman, uh, I just like the way he adjusts from at bat to at bat. Uh, you know, he's going to strike out. I don't think anybody's going to argue that point. But I don't think he's that, that softball slugger, if you know what I mean, where he's just sitting back in the cup just waiting on somebody to lob him a meatball. He is a guy that I've seen really do some things, going the other way with pitches, looking for the gaps. Uh, little adjustments that he continues to make. And even though teams are still trying to figure out how to pitch him, he's given them a lot to try and digest. Claves, as 
You watched the weekend, the four games against Milwaukee, and it's only a snapshot, obviously, but we've seen the Cardinals and the Brewers a couple of times so far. How do you think the Cardinals stack up? Good question. Uh, and I, I don't know if we know yet. Uh, Milwaukee can pitch. Okay, They don't have the household names, but they have found a way to develop some legitimate pitching, not only in their starters, but their, their bullpen has done a remarkable job. Uh, the question is, will they be able to hit? And I think the bigger question is, is Yelich ever going to come back to being the player that we thought he was a few years ago? Uh, they've got a couple of holes in their lineup, but they have a couple of guys who just seem to torment the Cardinals. Tyrone Taylor is one that just finds a way to put the ball in play against St. Louis. Uh, but I think their, their bigger concern is how are they going to be offensively, and I say that about a team that leads the National League in home runs. Yeah, and you know what, Mike? It's interesting with Yelich, uh, only a 695 OPS, 229, and he had the leg injury a few years ago. I wonder if this is not unlike what happened with Alan Craig here, if, if his lower half was so affected by the injury that he just can't get it back. You know, Randy, I, I think there may be something to it. Throw in the fact that his back was barking there for a while, so anytime you have problems below the belt line, uh, it can really – your growth and development. Uh, so, you know, he, he's, I won't say he's, not, he's half the guy he was. He's three quarters of the guy he was. He, he doesn't throw very well anymore either. So uh, the injuries have may, maybe have caught up to him. I know they keep thinking he's going to turn around, and anytime you talk to somebody from Milwaukee, they say, yeah, you know, we're seeing a little bit of this, a little bit more of that. And, you know, the stat that everyone loves to use to justify that they're, they're making an impact is the hard hit rate. And that's great. You know, I'm glad, you know, hard hits better than, I guess, a strikeout. But if you're hitting it hard to certain people, I'm not sure if it makes a big deal of difference in your batting average or your on-base percentage. So he's a guy I think still has to be very good in order for them to win. Clay, you're around the team every day. You have eyes on these guys, so you're the perfect person to answer this question. I've been wondering, is Paul Goldschmidt, in fact, human? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of thinking he might be an alien or a robot or something. I mean, 352, 21-game hitting streak. He is just playing out of his mind right now. You know, Michelle, I was thinking the same thing, and I saw these little <laughs> microchips near his locker. I don't know where, where they insert him at, but he is just... I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it for a month. You know, the, the one year Albert... Uh, won the batting championship. He was kind of automatic like this. But Goldschmidt, I think what intrigues me more than anything else is how many times he cashes somebody in with two strikes. Mm. You know, a lot of guys in this game, where when they get the two-strike count, you see their average just plummet. But Goldschmidt has made some good pitchers pay with two-strike counts, uh, which tells me he's processing what they tried to do to him before they got to the uh, two-strikes. And sometimes these pitchers will try and come back with that same pitch, but they miss by a little bit. Goldschmidt's sitting on it, and either he's hitting a home run or he's hitting a double. And I think what, what really makes him an impressive guy at this point is his ability to go the other way, find a right center field gap uh, on Sunday. You know, he was down to his last strike with regard to his hitting streak and was concerned. And instead of trying to pull a slider, he decided to just drop the head on it and take it the other way to keep the streak alive. Uh, yesterday, he was in a similar situation. Pitcher missed in on him, and he made him pay. So uh, he, he's seeing the ball well, obviously. He's covering the plate well. Uh, he's doing a lot of things that 
he's allowing his patience to handle everything for him, and man, it's fun to watch. And thank goodness for that, because obviously, with the injuries to O'Neill and Carlson, and Arenado has struggled in May, hitting only 184 with the 622 OPS. Goldie has been the guy. I'm, I'm waiting for the day, and it's going to happen at some point, Mike, where Goldie's in like he has for May, and Arenado will hit like he did in April, and the Cardinals will be absolutely unstoppable. Well, I agree with you, Randy. And there's a couple other guys that can get it going, not of the dominance that you mentioned of the first two guys. But, you know, we're still waiting to see the consistency of of Gorman. Granted, it's a small sample size. Bader's got a quiet 10-game hitting streak going as well. So there's some other guys in the order. If you can just get them to just be a little bit more consistent, then that means there won't be an easy out in the order. And I think you'll really see this Cardinal team go. Claves, I, of course, wanted to ask you about the Blues as well. We're doing our, our Blues season wrap-up on the show today after the loss on Friday. Uh, granted, a, a lot of things to discuss here, and the Colorado Avalanche, certainly a tough opponent, but when you look at this Blues team, how would you describe the season? Well, you know, I've been wrestling with this for the last couple of days. You know, there were a lot of good things that happened in this season. Uh, the winning streaks, and the, certainly after the Winter Classic and when they got on that roll. But I was always concerned about the physical presence and, and the fact that they just didn't have enough pushback like they've had in the past. Uh, the defense obviously was chewed up a lot with injury. Uh, where would they be without Nick Letty? And it, it'll be interesting to see what his role will be if he's going to be in the plans with St. Louis Blues next year because I think we've seen the other two promising defensemen in Peronovich and, and Mikola, and Callie Rosen made, made a name for himself. But who's next after that group? So maybe Nick Letty's going to be part of this. I'd like to see him be part of it because we've seen one thing, that he can cover people who can skate, all right? And that's something I think you, you want to make sure you have. And with him, Falk, and Pareko all with that same skill set, it makes them a formidable uh, pairs, pairs of defensemen that they're going to have. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more grit, and I'd also like to see some of the younger players move up on lines, you know, the bottom line is you have to be good in your own end defensively before you can be given the responsibility of having more ice time. But I think I issued a challenge to uh, Torpenko. Uh, Logan Brown's got to be a guy that's got to be in that mix. And, and let's see what they can do moving up. Now the question is who moves out? And, and I think they have some real tough questions. You know, What do you do with Tarasenko? Can you get a lot for him after he proved to have a very successful year? I mean, there are a lot of moving parts. And the salary cap always reaps its head up, and uh, we'll see what that happens with regard to who can you afford and who you can't afford. But the one thing about Doug Armstrong that I think we've all come to realize, he is the, the prototypical general manager that moves a person the year before everybody else thinks you should move them. And so I would not be shocked if there's a player that we never saw coming, and then you say, well, we got this other guy who can step in and roll, and maybe Doug Armstrong gets something for him to help the team in the future. Klaibs, uh, as you know, having been around sports for such a long time, and I, and I know, and uh, Michelle knows, there are no better people with better stories in sports than equipment guys and trainers. And the latest Joe West 5460 podcast, you guys have the Giants' longtime trainer, Ronnie Barnes. Ronnie Barnes has been around for a long time, okay? He was there in the Lawrence Taylor era. So when you think about the stories he has for Lawrence Taylor and Bill Parcells, I think you'll get get the message here. It'll be a lot of fun. 
Uh, Ronnie's been around. Gosh, I guess Ronnie's well. He's a young seventy, I believe. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but he's seen a lot and done a lot. And, and good trainers are very hard to come by. We're very fortunate in St. Louis to have a, a good trio of trainers. But you know, when you get one, they normally don't move around very much. And if you recall, you think about who we have now with Adam and, and Chris. You think about Barry Weinberg. You think about. Gene Gieselman. I mean, those guys had long tours of duty in St. Louis, and Ronnie Barnes has the same impact even today with the the, the New York Giants. So uh, I would encourage people to take a listen. He's a lot of fun. And I believe next week uh, we have Jerry Reinsdorf, who Mm. apparently, and I didn't know this, Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't talk to anybody. I mean, people in Chicago haven't heard a, a public word from Jerry Reinsdorf in years. But he was kind enough to uh, visit with Joe and myself, and uh, he had some interesting things to say about the game. And, you know, he's the only American owner that's won in two different sports, a, a professional championship. You know, Jack Kent Cook did it with the uh, Lakers and the Redskins, but Jack Kent Cook was from Canada. So Jerry mm-hmm. Reinsdorf has a lot, of, a lot of rarities about him, and championships happens to be something he is familiar with. That's awesome. Can't wait to hear that one. And this week, Ronnie Barnes, the longtime trainer of the Giants. Claves, always good to talk to you. Have a great week and enjoy your time in Chicago next weekend. Well, we'll be there for a long enough period of time that the tax rate will certainly go up, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. Five days and four nights in four days, man. Good luck to everybody. And the way the Cubs pitching staff has been chewed up here recently, who knows how long we'll be there. <laughs> right. Hours and hours and hours. Claims had great job. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. All right. You guys have a great week. You too. See you later. Mike Claiborne with us on 101 ESPN. Long stretch in Chicago. Yeah, including a doubleheader. Five mm-hmm. games in four days. Yeah. You, you used to be back in the day, you turned Mike Claiborne loose in Chicago on a weekend. It's You know, you, he'd be there for the game, but then you'd never see him. I'm sure he's got all the spots. He's got some stories, too. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carriker. What's up, everybody? It's time for the fight. I'm Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN 835 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's a Tuesday edition of the fight since we were off yesterday. Maybe Randy will be uh, asleep at the wheel a little bit today. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? I don't know. I'm 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 a little off. Randy can't be like perfectly locked in on a Tuesday after a holiday, right? No, there's no chance. Like, I, but then again, Long as weekend. soon as we doubt him, we see what happens. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> You're right. Is it a little unfair to the listener that we're going to get too confident for him? I just Is think of, of all days that you might be able to catch him slipping just a little. It's the day after a long holiday weekend. He's probably golfing a lot in the sun yeah. a lot. Maybe he's a little yeah, tired. But, he, now, but now if he wins like a close one too, we're going to have to apologize to the listeners. That's I think true. We, I think we might have put the jinx on this one. No, we, you can't jinx a Megamind situation. That's fair. Matt is our listener as well. Two Matts in the house today. Uh, Matt on the line. How are you? Hey, Michelle. I'm doing excellent. And there's no jinx. I have no... Uh... <laughs> 
no doubt about what I'm facing this morning. You're aware of the circumstances. Yes, yes. It's all good, though. Well, I appreciate you still throwing your hat in the ring and jumping in, Matt. Did you have a, a nice long weekend? I had a long weekend. We're actually going to be moving into Chicagoland. And so we had a, I have a five-year-old and two-year-old, and we had to keep them out of the house for open open showing. So it was a long weekend of keeping two kids entertained. Oh, my gosh. That is a lot. Where in Chicago are you guys headed? Uh, in the suburbs somewhere. We're looking around St. Charles, Geneva, that area if you drew a 10-mile radius. Nice. Well, St. Louis is certainly going to miss you, Matt. Good luck with the move. Okay, are you ready for the fight? I am, I am. All right, here we go. Good luck to you. Question number one for Matt. Prior to Johan Santana's in New York, who was the last pitcher to no-hit the Cardinals? Was it Tom Seaver, Kevin Gross, or Fernando Valenzuela? Let's go, Kevin Gross. Who holds the all-time record for the most home runs in May? Is that Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, or Mark McGuire? I will just go Bond. Matt, Paul Gold... Yeah, there you go. Hey, that's a good as a good of reason as any. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt currently sits at 32 RBI for the month of May, the first time a Cardinal has accomplished the feat since which player in 2013? Is that Alan Craig, Carlos Beltran, or Matt Holiday? Go Matt Holiday. And happy birthday to former MLB ace Jake Peavy. What team did Peavy win his one Cy Young for? Was it the Chicago White Sox, the San Francisco Giants, or the San Diego Padres? I guess Padres. That hopped in my mind. Let's check our score. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Waving in Randy. Matt, you feeling good? You feeling nervous? Take me through this. Uh, I feel like I guessed it four questions, so I will say a one in three chance. We'll go 1.3 answers right. 1.3 answers right. Not bad. I know. A lot of people think that they're going to be able to swoop right in and know all the answers, even with the options. Not so much. It's difficult. Randy, say what's up to Matt. Matt, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Randy, I got a quick question. Fire away. I am, uh, I'm moving to Chicagoland area, and I have a two-year-old son. If he grows up a Blackhawks and Cubs fan, have I failed as a father? Yes. Oh. All right. Yeah, that's, I, that's, I thought so. So you can uh, see what you have to do is you are the person that, that guides his moral compass. Okay, mm-hmm. you're you're the one that develops that. And with all due respect, I guess to the people in Chicago that are Cubs and Blackhawks fans, their moral compass is astray. Yes, yes, I, I will do my best, but. Uh... <laughs> I can't make him too much of an outcast. That's <laughs> true. You know what, Matt, though? you got to teach him that he can't succumb to peer pressure. At every turn, mm-hmm. there's going to be a group of people trying to convince him to do something dumb, like be a Blackhawks or a Cubs fan. You just have to teach him you can't succumb to peer pressure. Now, here's the thing. He could be a Bears fan. That's right, yeah. That's, you know, I've, I've sold that to the family. I said, hey, we, we got a football team now. Yeah. Not, right. not the best football team, but a football a team. A team. And let me tell you something, Matt. Above anything else, Chicago is a bear's town. It is, no doubt. So there you go. So he'll he'll fit right in with the friends. No problem. All right, Randy, are you ready to do the fight here? Ready. Okay, question number one. Prior to Johan Santana's in New York, who was the last pitcher to no-hit the Cardinals? Prior to Johan Santana. You know, we might have to go back to Tom Seaver when he was with the Reds, struck out George or not. I don't, I don't think he struck out Hendrick Tilling. 
Uh, oh, no, no, no. You had Fernando Valenzuela in 1990. Um, so I think I will go with uh, Fernando. Who holds the all-time record for most home runs in the month of May? All-time record for the home, most home runs in the month of May. Well, we were looking up uh, McGuire had 16. Um, I'll do the lifeline here, Matthew. Is it Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, or Mark McGuire? I think I'll go with Barry Bonds. Paul Goldschmidt currently sits at 32 RBI for the month of May, Mm -hmm. the first time a Cardinal has accomplished the feat since which player in 2013? I think that was an incredible May of uh, Matt Holiday when he hit like 376. It was unbelievable. He was great. Happy birthday to former MLB ace Jake Peavy. What team did Peavy win his one Cy Young for? Jake Peavy. I'm going to say he won it in 1997 with the Padres. Three to two is our final score Mm. of the morning. Before you came in, Randy, Mm -hmm. Matt and I were saying, Matt, producer, engineer, co-host Matt, not Mm -hmm. listener Matt. Listener Matt did not say this, just Mm -hmm. for the record. That maybe listener Matt could catch you sleeping at the wheel a little bit, coming in off a nice holiday weekend. Great holiday weekend. I said maybe Randy was relaxed. I'm sure he played golf. The sun might have taken something out of him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Bike rides, yep. Yep, bike rides. There you go. Were we correct? Was Matt able to edge Randy out on a Tuesday that is a Monday? Or did Megamind not miss a beat? Other Matt, ring the bell. Just win, baby. Matt, we we misled you. He was not sleeping. He beat you 3-2. It was very close, though. Great work. Thank you. It's hard to beat the best. So you all have a great day, and thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, and good luck in Chicago, and enjoy. It doesn't get any better than like two, three, four, five, six. So savor these moments with your little one, okay? I I will do. I I enjoy it, and I uh, don't take it for granted. Perfect. And Matt, just so you know, you can download the 101 ESPN app and bring us wherever you move. I already have it. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Take care. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Good to have Matt with us on 101 ESPN. That is a difficult scenario to be presented with as a parent. Your child is going to go to school with a big group of people that are likely Cubs fans or Blackhawk mm-hmm. fans. Your kid's going to want to fit in. You're going to have those options available to you on the television. I mean, I granted, mm-hmm. with streaming now, you can get games anywhere. You can download the Bally Sports Midwest yeah. app, listen to the Blues on 101 ESPN. There's options. But still, that's that's tough. Well, and it's a rivalry. I have a friend in Dallas who his kids are, are Blues and Cardinals fans. But it doesn't really matter because the rivalry is not that intense. But when the rivalry is intense, like I, I know a blended family here, it's uh, but they're they're doing great. They're a, a, a Cubs Cardinals couple, but the kids are here in St. Louis, so they're Cardinal fans. I wonder if it's something they just don't discuss. You have your oh, allegiances. No. I have oh, mine. No. They go to every game and they they're wearing different colors and everything. No, they're they have uh, allegiances and it's clear. My cousin, <laughs> I, I have a cousin who married a a Cubs fan, and they have they have split Cardinals Cubs stuff like bought specifically for the house just to kind of mm-hmm. accept the fact that they're both diehard fans and they're not going to back down. So they have a Cardinals Cub flag that is split down the middle that they hang oh, up during great. baseball season and stuff like that. I like, they're full yeah. bore into it. I like the L flag for the Cubs. <laughs> Me too. Now, let's just go back to the Bears because you're right. 
Bears are what it's all about in Chicago. When the Bears are going, there's nothing bigger. No. Bears over everything. Okay, uh, our answers for the Tuesday slash Monday edition of the fight. Prior to Johan Santana in New York, the last pitcher to no-hit the Cardinals was, in fact, Fernando Valenzuela. It was on June 29th, 1990. Barry Bonds holds the all-time record. A little footnote. Always right. Earlier that night, Dave Stewart threw a no-hitter for the Toronto Blue Jays. What a night. Yeah. What a night in baseball. Did you remember that little fact? Because he's Megamind. It's only the second time two no-nos have been thrown in the same day. Barry Bonds holds the all-time record for the most home runs in May. 17, to be exact. Was it an 02 or 01? 01. Okay. 2001. Because I knew he got hot down the stretch in 01, but uh, I knew he, he started off 02 incredibly, too. Speaking of hot, 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 Paul Goldschmidt, 32 RBI for the month of May, the first time a Cardinal has accomplished the feat since Carlos Beltran Beltran. in 2013. And HBD to former Major League ace Jake Peavy, who won his Cy Young for the San Diego Padres in 2007. 07, not 97. Okay, got it. There's a seven in there. You said that. I was like, he wasn't in the majors yet, Randy. Yeah, 10 years off. So it happens. I, I you got up the decades. last date. That's that's pretty impressive. Okay. Still off the top of your head. <laughs> that's the fight on 101 ESPN coming up. We're going to talk to Darren Pang and review this Blues season. Find out what Panger thinks the Blues can do to win a Stanley Cup next year. That's on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Darren Pang joins us as he does on Tuesdays during the hockey season here on 101 ESPN. The Blues hockey season, unfortunately, is over for 2021-2022. Panger, good morning. Good to have you with us. How are you doing? Yeah, good morning. I'm, I'm doing really well. And I want to say before we started off, I really enjoyed uh, doing this every Tuesday morning and uh, you know talking hockey, whether we recap or, or look ahead. So I really appreciate your both your great professionalism and uh, – and uh, love of the game. So thanks, thanks for that. And I know it's it's been a, it's been a really good year. I know we're disappointed that it didn't end the right you know the right way, which is the only thing is a Stanley Cup. But all in all, boy, these these fellas gave us some great hockey. They really did. I got to start with this though. the The loss, the elimination occurred on Friday night. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, holiday weekend. How many days did Darren Pang play golf? <laughs> well, you'd be surprised, but I have not played at all. Stunning. Um, I am surprised. Yeah. I uh, yeah I I'm actually um I took off the next day at around noon uh to to uh, Michigan where I come for the summertime and uh getting my little uh, little lake place ready here for the summertime so I've just been kind of grinding away a little bit and and I'll be honest with you I took a stick in the in the um uh I can't remember what game it was maybe two or three um uh, it had to be three at home uh Ter- Vladdy Tarasenko got hit uh to, to the bench and and he kind of really my my baby finger got crushed a little bit so it's just starting to heal right now so um not not whining the blues because uh uh, that's the way it is but i'm 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 feeling a lot better now so i think i'm gonna team up here this afternoon 
Well, I'm glad, Panger, that your finger's feeling better. I remember that happening on the broadcast. But as we look back to this series between the Blues and the Avalanche, where do you think the biggest disparity was between these two teams? Well, I thought I thought Colorado, um, I hate to use this term, but I'm not sure if it's a, it was a more mature game or a more you know, detail-oriented back-checking game. Um, I, I thought they had all four lines coming back to their own zone as hard as they forechecked. Um, you know how many times we talk about that during the course of a, a season and a game, and especially when crucial moments are there, that I, I, I just thought they were, they were very much committed to the defensive part of the game. And, uh, um, you know, hard when you're, you enter the zone and you, and you start, you know, you're looking for the next play and you're gliding, and the next thing you know, a back checker stripped you of the puck and they're going the other way. So th- those are some of the things that I'm, I'm sure that uh, uh, they were really happy about there in Denver because I thought they did a phenomenal job right there. So, I mean, that would be number one. And I think they, they got a lot of offense from their defense. Um, mm-hmm. That's an area that the Blues have always excelled at or, or always had the edge of. But, uh, I mean, no team in the NHL has had more points, goals, or assists uh, from their defensemen. I mean, it's been a remarkable year. So we knew that was going to be an issue going into the series, and, and certainly it was. And uh, um, so, the, I, you know, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, without getting too detailed, I think those would be the, the two main factors that I saw from ice level. Their, their level of compete back-checking a hard-on pucks, and uh, there were several times where the Blues had a chance to back-check, and a, a simple play like not, not going really hard at a man, like that Eric Johnson a play when he, you know, with six seconds left, he gained the zone. He shouldn't have even gained the zone. Uh, but I don't think our forwards did a did a good enough job of back checking and putting pressure on the puck carrier during the course of, this, of the series. Panger, I, I kept telling Michelle during the third period, if the Blues win this game, that Billy Huso would have stolen it, and he, he played really well in that game. That being said, do you think the outcome would have been any different, any different had Bennington been there? You know, I'm I'm not afraid to go down this down this direction. I I, I think. Bennington's confidence, his presence in the net um, was shining through. And I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I do personally believe uh, that the Blues could have won with Jordan Bennington in the net. And again, you're right, not taking anything away from Billy Huso. Uh, he made some spectacular saves. But I, I think the, the one area that Colorado generated a lot of their goals from was on the rush. And I think... Jordan Bennington's a pretty good goaltender on the rush. He gets on top of his crease. He didn't, doesn't back in when he's a confident goaltender. And, uh, and, and so that's one area that I think Billy Hussle will probably go to in the summertime and, and, and work on things and look at some of the goals that he gave up. And the other part was, quite frankly, uh, the, the, the breakout. I mean, I mean, the Blues broke the puck out like so much better because we know that Jordan Bennington's not only good on the forehand, but he's also good at at breaking things up and and, uh, and alleviating some pressure by going to his backhand. So I think our defensemen um, were really getting into a really good groove with Jordan Biddington, peeling off the boards and getting out without getting uh, touched, basically, without getting hit very hard. And it all did change. When, when Billy went in there, he, he usually dumps the puck around his forehand. I thought Colorado did a good job of going right to that D, and as soon as that puck was on the D, shin pad or skate or stick, uh, that D was getting thumped a little bit. So, yes, I do believe there would be a difference. Oh, so frustrating to think about. Well, Panger, as we turn the page and look into the offseason, if you were sitting in Doug Armstrong's chair, what would be your number one priority, whether it's uh, working out a contract with somebody that's currently on the team or improving an aspect of the team? What would be number one on your list? Yeah, you know Army boy. He's a, he's a pretty <laughs> slick maneuver there. And, and uh, you know, he pulls off moves like last year when he traded for Pavel Buchnevich. I mean, 
nobody saw that type of trade coming, and that's why Doug Armstrong's the best manager in the in the business because of how he how he does things and how slick he is at doing things. But you know, I guess number one, you have to you have to look at all your UFAs. You have to look at the players that uh, whether it be a Nick Letty that you got from a trade. What what are Nick Letty's thoughts? I know Army doesn't like trading for for players and giving up assets, uh, which he did. Uh, without having that player signed for you know two or three or four more years after that, um, so you know you look at that situation. Uh, priority number one for me would be David Perron. I mean, David Perron. It's not like he's getting older and slower. He's getting older and better. He's like a a beautiful bottle of uh, French red wine, uh, uh, maybe a Le, maybe a Lafitte Rothschild or something <laughs> like that. Because his feet aren't getting slower. His his patience on the puck isn't getting bad. He's I don't know. He's just you know, with him and Ryan O'Reilly together, and you've got Ryan O'Reilly with one more year left on his deal, you know, is there a way that you can tie them both up in the same amount of years? I mean, I'm sure that Army and his staff have looked over everything that we're just talking about right now. And, you know, maybe, and then the next thing would have to be something that got quiet, but, um, and I'm not bringing this up just to, you know, bring it up, but does, you know, does Vladdy, what's Vladdy's situation again? Is that a player that still, does he want to stay? Does he want to go? Where are they at with that? So, I mean, I just named three things that are not easy to, to handle, but uh, but those would be uh, the three things that I'm sure would be priorities for Army. Pinger, I want to stick with David Prawn there for just a second. As you mentioned, he is aging like a fine wine on the ice, but how important is David Prawn to the culture of the St. Louis Blues? Very, very important, Michelle. I mean, he's he's matured in, in, in such an incredible way. I mean, when, you know, when I, when I first got here in 2009, he was just a, I mean, he was really a, just a kid get, you know, getting through Andy Murray's uh, demands of him not wearing white skates. Um, <laughs> you know, some of the plays that, that he made back in the, you know, in the early days was, was that of a kid that just played one year of major junior A hockey. And now I watch him, the way he answers questions with the media, the way he handles things, the demands that he puts on himself in practice. You know, he and Ryan O'Reilly set the tone. They're on the ice early. They, they're kind of like, assistant coaches and, and, and uh, director of player development. <laughs> um, so he, they, you know, he and, he and uh, Ryan O'Reilly could probably go to army and say, look at it. Well, the salary we will work on the salary, but then we might need extra, extra fishnagels here for all the other stuff we do. <laughs> boy, they, they just set such a good positive tone. And if you're a young kid, a young drafted pick, like, like a Jake neighbors or a Zach Bolduc who was a first rounder a couple of years ago, you know, you want these young players on the ice with those two, every day to learn the game and, and to be prepared to play the game the correct way. Panger, just a, a couple more quick things. Number one, uh, obviously, as you know, Vladimir Tarasenko getting a lot of criticism for scoring only one goal in the six games. How much of it was Vladdy and how much of, of it was the way he was defended by Colorado? Well, I think I think when you're a, you're a, a player that's a difference maker like Vladdy, I, I think the first thing you do is you put the onus on yourself. I mean, I would be disappointed if, if anybody that you know, that didn't do what they're supposed to do, you know, blame somebody else for it. And I know that's not Vladdy. I think the demands that he puts on himself are, are great. Um, there's always a, there's always a way to get closer to the net. I always say that it's uh, you know, I heard many times on the bench when the games were on the line, players on the bench would say, get off the boards, everybody get off the board, shrink the ice, get closer to the net because you can't score from the hash marks uh, along the board. So, you know, um, but I, I don't put, uh, you know, for me, in a team sport, you don't you don't put your finger at just one person ever. I think that that person should put enough pressure on themselves, and 
you know, at this time of year, when you're a goal scorer, you, you do all the little things, uh, you know, that, that might not be goal scoring if it's not in. You block shots, which he did that. You finish your checks, you know, which he did that as well. So, I mean, I think all in all, there were games in which the Blues had, a, you know, a few too many passengers. Um, and I'm not pinpointing one particular player. But unless you were four lines deep the whole time and everybody was, everyone was giving it 100%, um, then you were not going to beat a team like Colorado. They're, they're just too deep. And they had four lines rolling the whole time. And when they didn't, they scratched a guy, um, you know, like Burakoski, and they made some changes as well. And the Blues did the same thing by tweaking, you know, some, some players went down, like Barbashev, Torepchenko played well, he went up. I think both coaches got a lot out of their players, to be quite honest with you. And last thing, and uh, because you're a veteran hockey watcher and, and you want the sport to succeed, I just watched a promo on ESPN for the NBA and it's only Curry and Tatum. You had Brady and Manning in the NFL. If I'm the NHL for this Western Conference Final, I'm promoting, and a lot of good players here, but I'm promoting McDavid and McKinnon playing in the same game all the time. You're, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, I remember starting my career with ESPN, and I actually got frustrated. I come from a team mentality all the time, and um, and at that particular point uh, in the early 90s, they were they were using, you know, the basically the, the NFL's approach and the NBA's approach. And that was, yeah, quarterback versus quarterback, point guard versus point guard, you, you name it, just like you just said. And it always frustrated me that we opened all our shows with just individuals. But as I get older and see that there's so many eyeballs that are maybe vague hockey fans, when they see McKinnon and McDavid and you show a, a, a 15-second uh sizzle reel of those two you go i gotta watch this Mm -hmm. and so when we see those two players and you see because in the western conference final that's going to be us on tnt and that's that's what you're going to see you're going to get the eyeballs first and then you're going to get people latching on to the entirety of the game and how good these two teams are but first and foremost Certainly, it's McDavid and McKinnon. Panger, we want to thank you for a great season. We always appreciate having you on. You're so fun and so happy, and we always love getting the updates on Brucey. <laughs> so. Yeah, Brucey's a happy camper. He's at the lake now, and he's running around and barking at geese and getting them off the, out of the beach by the water. So, yeah, he's having a good old time. Thank you, though, for that. He's, he's really relished being a star on, on our show in the morning. <laughs> we love it. Hey, have a great summer, and we'll talk to you in the fall. Yeah, sounds great, guys. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Panger. Bye-bye. Darren Pang, Blues Analyst on Bally Sports on 101 ESPN. I'm glad we got the, the final Bruce update. Gotta because get that. I imagine he's thriving on the beach, and I'm happy for him. Yeah, he'll love it. Barking at the geese doesn't get any more fun than that. <laughs> coming up next, how do the Blues close the gap on the top Western Conference teams like the Avalanche? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seiden Stricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. During the regular season, the Colorado Avalanche won 56 games. The Blues won 49. Blues finished 10 points behind Colorado in the standings, 119 to 109. And obviously, Colorado eliminated the Blues in six games in the Stanley Cup playoffs second round. So there is a gap between the two teams. And after the loss on Friday night, Craig Berube, who, by the way, is going to speak to the media at 1015 today, along with Doug Armstrong, just a 
postseason, post-mortem. Uh, Craig Ruby was asked about closing the gap between the Blues and the Avalanche. For sure. I think, you know, we're right there. We're right there. Our team plays hard. Our team battles. They, you know, they do a lot of good things. We were, we battled hard tonight. We were physical. Uh, like I said, you know, we kept the, the big line off the board, did their job. Um, you know, their, their bottom half players scored the goals tonight for them. So the Blues, Michelle, can't try to close the gap by trying to replicate what the Avalanche have in McKinnon and McCarr and Landeskog and Ranton. The Blues are going to be more of a gritty team. That is a fancy team mm-hmm. with a lot of talent, and the Blues aren't going to they can't play that way. They they haven't had enough top 10 picks to get guys to play that way. So what they have to do is like coach said, they have to be gritty and play hard. And don't you agree with Craig Bruby there? Don't you feel like the Blues were right there? Right that there. in this series, they mm-hmm. had some key injuries that affected them and that they had key players that, frankly, underachieved? No doubt about it. And, and we'll start with the injuries because we all talk about Bennington and don't talk much about Tory Krug being yes. hurt, the quarterback on your power play, right? Very, very, very important injury. Yeah, really important guy. And then when you talk about the guys that didn't come through, and again, it's easy and... I don't know if it's fair or not, but it's easy to look at the one goal that Tarasenko scored. But it wasn't just him. During the series, Thomas stepped up in game five with with those two goals, but didn't do much the rest of the series. Butchnevich, I give him a pass. And by the way, he had seven points. He had a goal and six assists. But it was his first playoff ever in the National Hockey League. Uh, Brandon Saad only had one goal, and you expect him to be a, a playoff performer. Pareko had one goal, no assists, and what is a, a minus one. And Schenner, no goals and five assists. So there were other blues that weren't denting the scoreboard like they had during the regular season. Where was your expectation level for Jordan Cairo? Young player, but still a really talented player, an mm-hmm. all-star caliber player. Yeah. I, I think it's fair to say that we expected more from him as well. And he's going to get better. I mean, he, he tied for the in that series, tied for the lead in goals on the team with Perron with four. I am uh, excited about Jordan Cairo's future because I see him ascending mm-hmm. like Thomas did. But too many giveaways, mm-hmm. too many lackadaisical plays. How about that? I didn't say lackadaisical because I don't. Lackadaisical plays coming back to the defensive end. Because you don't? Because I do it right. It's L-A-C-K-A-D-A-I-S-I-C-A-L. Lackadaisical. Not lackadaisical. Yes. It's Where not, do lacks come in then? I think people are combining lax and lackadaisical. Because if you play lax, you can be mm. lackadaisical. If you're lackadaisical, you can be lax. So I think people just combine the words. There we somehow. go. Well, thank you for that lesson, Uncle Randy. Lackadaisical. I'm trying to be helpful here. Lackadaisical. Lackadaisical. But you're right. You can't have Jordan Cairo making lackadaisical plays. (laughs) See, I wanted to do it there. And Perron, nine goals in the playoffs. O'Reilly and Cairo tying for second on the squad with seven. The offensive talent is there. Like you said, he's an all-star. He was the MVP of the Winter Classic. He shines when the light is brightest, but he needs to apply himself to a 200-foot game. Mm -hmm. But I love him. One more point about the, the... fact that the Blues are closing the gap. Does Braden Shen think they showed they have? You know, the guys from last year to this year have, have made steps um, with, you know, Thomas and Kyra, and those guys give us a huge chance to to help us win, and, um, 
you know, we're definitely closer. Um, you know, last year, uh, with everything going on, uh, they're just all over us. And, and uh, you know, this year, you, know, you at least give yourself a chance. And we just, I don't think we played as good as we needed to in the series. You know, they're, they're a good team, no doubt about it. But, um, you know, at times uh, throughout 60 minutes, I don't think our game uh, was as good. And like I touched on before, games three and four hurt us. It's, it's, it's tough to come back from 3-1 in the series against a good team. You know, you got to find a way to split one of those games. It's that close. Split you got to find a way to win at home, too. Yeah, didn't win a game against Colorado at home, so that was troublesome. But I am confident that this Blues team will get better, and I don't think there's anybody better. If Jordan Cairo will accept coach the truth and accept tough coaching, he's in the perfect spot. If Jordan Cairo doesn't want to accept hard coaching and he just wants to go somewhere and just be a guy that floats in the offensive zone all the time and doesn't play a 200 game, then he can go on his way. By the way, if he gets straight to do, uh, Calgary, Daryl Sutter's not going to be any be any easier <laughs> on him than Craig Berube is. So you better get used to it. But I hope the guy, like Thomas is, and I think it helped Robert Thomas to be with the Kachuk family for a few years. Sure, yeah. Because there is no more tough love than Walt provides. And David Braun talks about that with us all the time, right? I think Jordan Cairo needs to be accepting of tough love and tough coaching. And if you're him and you know that it's for your own benefit and mm-hmm. you look at the fact that Craig Bruby's won a Stanley Cup and you look at the guys on the team who won with him, don't you want to get to that level? Don't you want to be open to that and be malleable so that you can become the best version of yourself? Watch Ryan O'Reilly yes. and do what Ryan O'Reilly does every single day. I would be a sponge to him. I would be like Juan Yepez's with Albert Pujols. I would yeah. follow around Ryan O'Reilly and or David Perron and just do whatever yeah. they did and ask them questions nonstop. And be out there early with O'Reilly and stick around late for, I think it's called the O'Reilly School, right? Or something like that. Yeah, do that stuff and he'll be fine. But I'm I'm with the players and I'm with the coach. I, I don't think the gap is that significant. I think the Blues are very, very capable of beating Colorado next year. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing. Next up, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber joins us to talk about the postmortem, and he'll be at the press conference today with Army and with uh, Craig, Craig Berube. But Kerbs is with us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has quaint floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle and Randy, and we go to the Brown and Coopman Celebrity Line. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us as the Blues get ready for their postseason press conference. Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube and select players available to the media as well. And Kerbs, first of all, good morning. How was your weekend? Your birthday weekend, hey, by the way. You know what? Yeah, thanks, Randy. It was good. It was relaxing. And uh, we'll wrap up the season here this week and just kind of start turning the page. Well, as we turn the page, Curbs, well, before we turn the page, I should say, let's look back. As you look back on this series between the Colorado Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues, where do you think the Avalanche were able to win this series? Well, you know, one of the things they clearly won at five on five, uh, their five on five totals were, were pretty doggone good. And then, uh, you know, to me, another just another huge aspect of it was execution. They, they made they made fewer mistakes. I mean, go 
watch that Nathan McKinnon great goal that in game five and, and, and watch how many checks were missed as he came out of the zone and eventually go look at the game winning goal, you know, that was, that was scored in game six. You know, a set breakout play and the Blues forward doesn't pin the, the defenseman the way they're supposed to. Um, curious, you know, in all honesty, if, if personnel wise on the ice, you know, and, and things and, and you look at all that and they just made, they just made fewer mistakes than the St. Louis Blues did. And the, these two teams are close. And, and I think, I still believe fully the Blues win this series with Jordan Bennington and that the way he was going. I think he was going to outduel Darcy Kemper. Um, you know, but that's not the way it works. Uh, things happen in this sport, and uh, they stayed healthy. The Blues did not. They played better, and the Blues uh, were just a little bit off. Curbs, let's uh, touch on the Krug injury as well, because that's something that we haven't talked a lot about this morning. But the Krug injury was pretty. Uh, it was a pretty tough blow for the Blues, too. Yeah, that's a significant one, and I know he was coming back, so you got to think MCL or something related, um, you know, that you're able to come back. I don't think you come back with an ACL injury or, you know, obviously it was a, a pretty serious strain on his on his knee, it looked like. So um, that, that was huge because it forced them to really go with that 11-7 format more because of the, the, the power play specialist that they found in, in Perunovic. Um, it, it juggled things up, but they found also a way to be successful with it, Randy. And I think you are going to look at the loss and think that they didn't go as far as they could have. And, and had, had they been healthy, maybe they they would have gone further. But I still think it showed some pretty good depth to get away from a Minnesota team and then take a Colorado team to six games, even without uh, one of your top three defensemen and your top goaltender. So that Tory Krug injury really kind of set in, you know, it, that one combined, obviously, with the Scandella one, but mm-hmm. the Tory Krug one is the one that really set some things in motion. Well, with all that being said, Curbs, how wide do you think the gap is between these two teams? I don't think it's that wide. I, again, I think that I think healthy. I actually, I think the Blues could have won that series. Um, you know, and I'm, yeah, maybe I'm looking through blue colored glasses here, but I, I just look at the games that. Colorado is a team that even in the regular season, they're going to give you, you know, a lot of looks. They're going to throw a lot of stuff at the net. If there was any one difference, it's that over the course of the season, I don't know that the Blues really felt comfortable defending at times. And when you, and what I mean by that is when things would get scrambly in the Blues zone, they really got scrambly this year. And I think that's the result of all those veteran defensemen that over the last two years have left via free agency or injury. So, that style of play that Colorado had uh, definitely uh, played in probably what was the biggest weakness of the Blues. But having said that, I, I don't know that the gap is all that different. I just, you know, I, there's a stat the NHL put out yesterday. And with the Rangers moving on, it's like the first time in 30 years that all four teams that are in the conference finals or the semifinals have a first overall pick on their team. And you think of something like that, and you're like, okay, you know, that means that there's been plenty of teams that have made it, obviously, to the conference finals that have not had first overall picks. And and so I just I just think the way this team is built, the depth of this team, uh, the quality of the players on this team, I, I don't think the gap is all that big. What I do, honestly, like just a pure hockey fan in me, I, I mean, just the absolute pure, and maybe I should even qualify this as saying somewhat irresponsible hockey fan in me is is. We almost, like, had we had a Claude Lemieux, Chris Draper moment in this series, 
whether it be with Kadri or whomever, right? Because of how good Colorado is, and I think they're going to be for a while, and because of how good the Blues are, and I think they're going to be for a while, I, I think that this had the opportunity with a little nastiness and a little blood drawn to be able to uh, to, to rival some of the nastiness of, of that series between Colorado and Detroit from 20 or 30 years ago. Well, what, 24 years ago. That would have been fun. <laughs> oh, just would like no, no kidding, wouldn't it? Like, okay, if you're gonna do, here's the thing: if you're gonna do divisional playoffs, and you're gonna do a divisional heavy schedule, we need a little bit more of that nastiness in there, and uh, maybe we see that continue to grow now after back-to-back uh, seasons with playoff series between these two teams. Yeah. Hey, Curbs. Uh, obviously, it'll be a busy off season. For Doug Armstrong, but everybody we've talked to today, and I just want to see if you, you're buying in here too, everybody seems to think that the number one priority has to be bringing David Perron back. Is that your first move? Um, I, I think it's the easiest no-brainer move, absolutely. I, I, I've been thinking about this for a while here. I don't Okay, I, I don't know where you're going to go find a player at that price level that has the, the under one. Uh, the pride of wearing that blue note, which I I think this kind of thing matters, um, especially you know when, when you're in in a window here, and and frankly, I mean he's clearly played himself still as one of your top three forwards on this team. So I I also think that if you sign him to a three year deal, there is a chance that at the end of that three year deal, if he stays healthy and the Blues remain good, that we're potentially talking about retiring another number. I really believe that. I wouldn't be surprised, Curbs. He's meant a lot to this franchise. He's a champion. I, I'm with you. I think it's an absolute no-brainer. Um, outside of David Perron or maybe an internal contract to worry about, is there an external move that you'd be looking to make if you were Doug Armstrong? Well, I, I said this with you guys on uh, the post-game show, and, and I just... Dude, my philosophy that of what you need to stay in that competitive, that championship window that I believe the Blues are still in. Uh, and because I think if you solidify your defense a little bit, I don't know that you have that within the organization. Okay, so I, I think there might be a move to go out there, um, you know, and, and, and find an upgrade defensively, even if it is more of a veteran defenseman. As good as Callie Rosen was, right, there's the veteran nature of, say, a Carl Gunnarsson that is, is, is just that much better. So uh, that, that to me is on one thing. The other side of it is, is look, Jake Neighbors is going to come in. Alexander Bolduc is still playing. We, we haven't seen much of him, obviously, except for training camp. You know, but there, there may be another terrific young talent. But I, I don't think youth wins in the National Hockey League. Okay, so if you're going to go with a young guy or two to fill in some holes because of a salary gap, you're going to make some errors. I mean, look, look, we've seen the growth of Jordan Bennington, and this is, or I'm sorry, of uh, Jordan Cairo, and this is a great example of that. You know, on the ice for those two goals I mentioned earlier, like, you, you, you've got to get in there. You've got to be on the ice to make those mistakes. You've got to be on there to learn from them, you know, but it can cost you games. And so is there a move with, with whether it be a Jake Neighbors or an Alexander Bolduc, uh, one of the goaltenders that the Blues has uh, that, that could end up winning a Calder Cup in, in Springfield this year, and – you can actually upgrade a position. And, and Randy, you'll appreciate it. It's sort of like Howard Balzer used to say. You know, sometimes trading a draft pick to get a fourth-year player that's proven and you've already gone through some experiences can help you speed things up. 
And and so I, long-winded way, Michelle, I kind of think that uh, I think there's probably one, if not two, moves that the Blues uh, probably would have to look at to really kind of keep them from an experience level in that championship window. Curbs, always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. We will talk to you soon. And again, belated happy birthday. All right, guys. Hey, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. You bet. See you later. That is the Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, always good to have Curbs with us normally on Monday, but yesterday we weren't here. Always good to talk to you. might have heard our voices. Oh, yeah. Best of. But they were called disembodied voices yesterday. We were with you, but we weren't with you. Exactly. (laughs) Coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. It is time now for... 2022, Randy, the year of the slap. It is the year of the slap. I don't know what's in the air or the water in 2022, but first it was Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars, and now we have one that's entered the sports world. If you haven't heard about this over the weekend, first of all, where were you? Maybe you were at the lake relaxing and not mm-hmm. checking your phone, but we'll get you up to speed. But Tommy Pham slapped Jock Peterson. The Reds and Giants were squaring off in a three-game series, but no one's talking about the outcome of the game. Everyone is talking about the Tommy Pham slap. So this happened on the 27th. There's video actually of the slap that's out there. It was before the game in the outfield. Tommy Pham approaches Jock Peterson. It looks like there's a little bit of jawing back and forth. Not much before he open palm slaps him in the face. And if you've seen the video, it's far away, Randy. The Mm -hmm. the vantage point is pretty far away. But you can see how violently Jock Peterson moves his head. I almost thought that Tommy Pham might have knocked a a tooth out because there's something that goes spraying almost. But, of course, this got a lot of attention. People were wondering what happened. Had to be something really, really serious. Absolutely. Why would Tommy Pham just unload on Jack Peterson like this? So, Jack Peterson made himself available to the media after the game on the 27th. And he was asked, why did Tommy Pham slap you, bro? And here is what Jack Peterson had to say. We were in a fantasy fantasy league together. Uh, I put somebody, a player, on the injured reserve when they were listed as out and um, added another player uh, and then um, uh, there was a text message in the group saying that I was cheating uh, because I was stashing players on my bench and then uh, I don't know, I looked up the rules and sent a screenshot of the rules, how it says that when a player is ruled out, you're allowed to put him on the IR, and uh, that's all I was doing. And then uh, it just so happened that he had a player, uh, Jeff Wilson, who was out, and he had him on the IR, and I said, you literally have the same thing on your team, on your bench. And then I guess he was in two leagues, and in one of them he was on the IR, and one of them he wasn't. So maybe that was a confusion. But on the ESPN league we were in, it, it was listed as out. So it's like it feels very similar to what I did. 
and that was basically all of it. There's not much more to it. I get it. Fantasy football. <laughs> yeah. IR. Jeff Wilson. Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, it was the, it was a pandemic year. Two years this has been brewing over Jeff Wilson and the IR and fantasy football. So then, of course, Tommy Pham was asked about this, and he says there's more to the story. He says that Jock Peterson, quote, said some disrespectful bleep about the Padres, which was the team that Tommy Pham was on at the time, and that Jock Peterson bleeped with his money. So he said some disrespectful stuff about the team that Tommy Pham was on and also bleeped with his money. So the next day, after the game, Jock Peterson makes himself available again outside his locker, and he's asked about the disrespectful stuff that he might have said about the Padres. Here's what Jock Peterson had to say the next day. Uh, Yeah, I saw that. And... uh... I know what he said, and either it's true. There are, uh, there was a lot of money involved in it. There, I did send a GIF in the group chat that was making fun of the Padres. In the group chat, there was also some. There was more than one Padre. There was maybe four or five that uh, I'm kind of close with a couple of them, and it was supposed to be a friendly thing, just making fun of. They were playing bad and just talking back and forth and uh yeah i mean he did not like that and clearly responded uh jock i don't know you well enough to make any jokes like this and uh yeah so then um i wrote back i'm just trying to pull it up so it's exact was meant to be all fun and games no hard feelings sorry if you took it that way um and then about two weeks later, after like week four or five, uh, he ended up leaving the league. And uh, there's been no communication since. Um, but like I said, it, it is true. I did send a, uh, a GIF making fun of the Padres. And uh, if I hurt anyone's feelings, I apologize for that. So the gift in question, which he goes on to show reporters, he actually pulled up the receipts. Jack was waiting at his locker with the receipts was, in my opinion, a pretty harmless so it's got three weightlifters and above each of the weightlifters there's the Giants logo the Dodgers logo and the Padres logo and all of these weightlifters are swinging kettlebells and they throw the kettlebell over their head so uh, the Giants kettlebell goes over the head the Dodgers goes over the head for the Padres the kettlebell actually lands on the female weightlifter and knocks her out so that's that's the, the gift in question that got Tommy Pham so upset after the Dodgers have beaten the Padres in the playoffs three games to none. Correct. And to Jack's point, there was a lot of talk about the Padres and how good they were and how they should have been better. So isn't this the most normalizing thing you've ever heard from baseball players? Fighting back and forth about putting players on the the IR and um, fantasy Mm -hmm. football and sending gifts in the group chat back and forth. But Tommy Pham takes gifts very seriously, apparently, because he did not take too kindly to this. Come on, Tommy. Have some fun. Enjoy it. It's part of fantasy football is trash talking. Deal with it. We need to get Adam Wainwright on tomorrow, yeah. and we're going to ask him about this he's, because we're in the big league impact he's fantasy the king football. Of trash talk. Yeah, he is the king of trash talk, and I don't think he would have been offended by this. I think no. he would have thought it was pretty funny, right? What is the five fingers? Say to the face. Slap. 
Yeah, apparently that's what Tommy. they said. That's what they said. And, and to leave leave the league? Come on, don't leave the league in the middle of the season. That's bad for everybody. Because you that way, if there's a lot of money on the line, you're, you might be, if you leave the league and don't start playing players or, or you don't set your lineup, then you could cost somebody a lot of money. But I think if you can't take the jokes that are in the group chat and you're not part of the camaraderie that mm-hmm. is the fantasy football league, it's probably best that he did leave because as things started to heat up and you got closer to the playoffs, the trash talk intensifies. Well, all you need to do is turn off your notifications. And yeah, then you don't call. you don't get any emails, so just set your lineup every week. That's a great call, Randy. Also, I need to know, and I'm sure Jack will answer this question if someone asks him, what their fantasy football names were. I think it would mm-hmm. be great if in the reporting it was, you know, Burgundy Boy number one mm-hmm. in the fantasy teams did this or that. I want to know who won the league. I have so many unanswered questions about this entire scenario. We need to get we'll ask Adam if he's aware of this league. There's got to be somebody that we can find that is in this league. He, probably, I'm sure Adam knows all about this. Yeah. I, I just wonder how much he's out. going to divulge to us. Everything. <laughs> I hope so. Everything. I hope so. But I just can't believe that of all things, it was fantasy football and a gif that caused two years ago. That's that the called, thing. That Jeff Wilson two years ago? Tommy Pham to be so angry that he would not only confront him about it, but slap him across the face. And I wonder who it was that Tommy had on his IR. See, don't you have so many questions? Yeah. I need a reunion, like a Bravo reunion style sit down between all of the parties involved. Not just Jack Peterson and Tommy Pham, but I need everybody that was in the league to weigh in on this. I want to hear every little detail about this. And as Peterson was putting Wilson on IR and Tommy was complaining about it, somebody else in that league was picking up Raheem Mostert, who kind of led the all running backs down the stretch that season. So yeah, we do need to get to get to find out what happened here. So we'll find out. And Jack Peterson, we didn't play this cut because there was a lot of questions that he was asked. He said that he was sorry if he offended anyone and uh, tried to take the high road. He didn't even respond to Tommy Pham. And I think that was probably a wise decision yeah. after he got slapped to just walk away. I mean, Tommy Pham has been stabbed before. I don't think that's a fight you want to no, get into. No, you don't want to get into that fight. You just want to go Chris Rock on that one. Yeah, you just want to take the high road. Yep. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, that's you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Jamal Mayers wraps up the NHL Blues playoffs with us next on Character and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Karen Smallman on 101 ESPN and Jamal Mayers was kind enough to join us after every Blues playoff game in 2022, the season over, after falling in six to the Colorado Avalanche, losing in the final five seconds on Friday night in game six. And Jamal Mayers joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Everything's good. Have you ever been involved in a heartbreaker like that? Oh, no, no, I'm you know, I haven't, and I, I can't even imagine that, you know, at that point, you with 20 seconds left, you're thinking, okay, let's let's collect ourselves, let's uh, be grateful for the ability to, 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 to do what we've done, to be able to force this to overtime, and and then all of a sudden, you know, what seems like an innocent play along the boards, and next thing you know, it's 
five seconds left, your season's over. Can't even imagine. So tough. Well, Jamal, as the Blues players reflect back on this series, what do you think is going to keep them up at night? What area of this series do you think they wish they would have done better? Well, I mean, anytime you don't win, I think there's a moment of reflection. I think that, uh, unfortunately, the way that it works, you have to go through some scar tissue. They have a ton of experience, but you you look at you the younger players in their lineup, Torpchenko, you look at um, up front, obviously you've got Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Uh, I felt like they grew a ton um, during this series, and I think that they'll be able to look back on this is this experience all as much as it hurts, but having grown from the experience and understanding that there is another level that I felt like they both reached in that final game and they have a better understanding now of what it's going to take uh, next year to keep pushing beyond and, and, and to get to the top of the mountain. So there's a lot of positives, uh, even though it's uh, very disappointing after a fantastic season. And, you know, you never want to make excuses, but let's be honest, the way that Benner, Bennington was playing, um, losing him, they, they, it really stung because, uh, you know, he was playing so well and it just uh, was unfortunate that he, he ended up going getting hurt. And, you know, kudos to Huso. He went in there and played well, but he felt like Bennington was, uh, was really locked in. Jammer, one of the things that I mentioned earlier is that Jordan Cairo needs to be prepared to deal with hard coaching, to get to the level that he's capable of. And he can be really, really special, at least from what I've seen. I think his skill set allows him to to be. But he has to be willing to accept hard coaching and, and play a 200-foot game. Am I too far off base there? No, I think I think you're right. I think the message is clearly there. I think the, the, the good thing about this coaching staff is that they all played. So it's not like he can dismiss any of their concerns or... or or coaching. And the reality is this, is that I'm certain that all of these coaches have done a great job of getting to know Jordan and understanding that you have to know the person first for, to be able to pull on these younger players. Whereas when I was younger, you really didn't have a relationship with your coach. They just told you what to do <laughs> and you did it. And, and for better or for worse, and I, it's just part of the way it is today. You have to get to know the young young players. You have to get to know them as people. Um, and versus uh, I, the way I equate it is this: it's instead of like disciplining young players, you're more like a, a disapp- you disappointed you disappointed me kind of thing, like a father mm-hmm. figure. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, he wants to get better. He wants to reach that that mountain and, and, and see what his true potential can be in those big moments. And I think he took a step in the right direction. Jamal, as uh, we've gone through the list of things to do in the offseason today, everyone we've spoken to has pretty much agreed that David Perron is on uh, number one on the priority list for Doug Armstrong and that it's really important to bring him back to this Blues team. Do you agree with that? I do. I think the number has to be right, obviously. I think that... Uh, Perry's one of the few players, and I've said this to him personally, is that his skill set matched up perfectly in the length of his career for how the game's rules evolve. He was such a supremely skilled player, undersized by a lot of standards when he started, 
didn't have as much of an offensive upside uh, point-wise at the beginning of his career. But as the rules evolved, as he began to understand where he can take advantage and use the width of the ice and use his skill set, became a much more stronger player along the wall, has a great one-timer, worked on his game, continually evolved. Uh, he's shown that he can continue to get better. Most players get worse as they get older. He seems to have gotten better. And I also don't think you can understate the value he and the chemistry that has with his line mates in O'Reilly and Saad, but also the example he sets and the way that he's a professional and the way he prepares, shows up, uh, practice habits, all those things are great lessons uh, and great to see it. It's one thing to say it. It's one another thing for these younger players to come in and, and watch Perry um, be such a professional and still be able to contribute offensively. Jamal Mayer is with us on 101 ESPN. And Jamal, I go back to the 2007-2008 Blues and 33-year-old Jamal Mayers was teammates with 19-year-old David Perron. How much fun is it for you to see a guy blossom <laughs> like that and become what he has become? What you, what you just described. Oh, it's 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 amazing. I think it's it's uh, it's a testament to him to his because a lot of people would have folded under the um, peer pressure he got for wearing his white skates and tinted visor. And I think Kovalev was his favorite player, so everything he did, mannerism wise, stick wise, was all Kovalev. And understanding that there's much more to the game and becoming more responsible defensively, being able to be responsible and kill penalties. And I'll tell you what, a 19 year old Dave Perron could not kill a penalty. And, uh, you know, he always had that skill. He always had the desire to get better. And a lot of people forget, this is a kid who played, I believe, only one year of major junior. He was a relatively late bloomer at 16, was playing midget hockey. The next year played, uh, ended up playing major junior only one season. And then the next season he was in the NHL. Uh, And so... I'm very proud of the career he's had. He's certainly not even close to being done, um, and he's managed to keep himself in great shape. And and you know what? At the end of the day, he's a guy who's a leader on that team and has been for a few years now. Jamal, we really do appreciate your work with us during the course, course of the postseason, and you're going to have a busy summer. Tell folks about how they can get involved with Jamal Mayer's summer camps. Yeah, I've got some camps, uh, some limited spots available. You can check it out at Jamal Mayer's underscore hockey skills. And, you know, we work with kids, basically. Everyone has a puck, skating, edges, all that stuff that makes it fun, but trying to create uh, opportunities for them to create offense, getting inside the dots and having fun while we do it. And, honestly, it's just been a a labor of love that's kind of just fell upon me uh, working with kids and working with my son and his teammates, and it's kind of evolved from that. But, I'm excited for the three weeks of camp. There's uh, one week is June 6th to 10th. The second week is July 25th to the 29th. And the final week of the summer is August 8th to 12th. So check it out online. Check it out on Instagram and follow the links and you can get more information. Appreciate your help and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Jamal. Thank you. Take care. Jamal Mayers, former Blue, great member of the Blues alumni, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Great work today by our producer engineer, Matthew Rocchio. After three days off, man, you handled it really well. <laughs> you, you, you just came back like it was nothing. I mean, after you had that fight win, I just I, I had to lock in and finish out the show strong. strong. I, just, I just step up. Good job. Pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. This was fun. And we eased back into it pretty well, I thought. What an... Well, I don't want to say it was an easy Tuesday, because we did have to talk mm-hmm. about the Blues getting bounced from the playoffs, but... It was a seamless return. We'll put it that way. Guess what tomorrow is? 
Hump day. It is. Hump day. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. We've got a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax coming up (laughs) for all of us. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.